This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that occasionally likes to give a State of the Union address. No football for Chelsea due to the Premier League's first winter break, but still much to mull over and reflect as we're about to embark on the business end of the season. A good time then to think uh, and to reflect on the season's highs and lows and look ahead to the run-in over the next few months. Can Chelsea secure a top four finish as underdogs, so proclaimed by Frank Lampard? And with the planning permission of the Stamford Bridge redevelopment about to run out, how vital is an increase in Chelsea's capacity, either at Stamford Bridge or, dare I say it, elsewhere, uh, to Chelsea's financial future and sustainability? What about Champions League football? Is it really existentially critical for Chelsea to play in it year in, year out? And what of the players? Everyone knows we, we need a big rebuild this summer. So who do we think will go and who will stay? The football may be on a break, but not us. Time for a Chelsea fancast State of the Union address. And you'll not be amazed to hear that the title for the show is State of the Union, the Chelsea fancast 492, with the uh, ever so lovely Mr Jonathan Kidd. It's great to be on the show, Chidge. Marvellous. Good to have you. Uh, And... uh, Nice to talk to you last Friday, although uh, I, you know, managed to uh, not make an appearance, which is rather annoying, but never mind. At least I was there, if only down the line. But there you go. You were like a hologram there. I had a picture of you I was looking at all the time, just in case. Just in case I forgot it was you. Well, there we go. And, uh, of course, uh, for... really. Well, I didn't really. No, I was hoping that you you did actually. I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna go and create one just to you know just for the hell of oh, it. I love it. Could it move slightly? Could it do be one of those TikTok things, those boomerang? So it just does a little little twitch every well, time. Well, I I, I want to make it as realistic as little little uh, as possible, so it won't move oh. at all. Oh, okay. Uh, right now, uh, last week uh, Tony Glover came in like a, a knight on shining in shining armor to save the day with Joe Tweedy's illness. 
Uh, and he's now back here for his scheduled appearance. So how about that? Two weeks in a row, we've got the lovely, the Reverend Tony Glover. It has been and always will be a pleasure. Well, there you go. Um, and of course, you are a real reverend, aren't you, mate? I, I am indeed. I, I have a question for you. Mm, far away. I'm going to throw you. I'm going to throw you a curveball. If it was a mid-season Premier League break, how come there were games this weekend? I don't understand. I've got an answer to that, which uh, I basically, when I drove up to do the Love Sport breakfast show on Sunday morning at half past five, uh, <laughs> I, I actually had made myself, uh, I have very strong coffee called Machu Picchu, which is basically the dog's bollocks of coffee, mate. It's very strong, and it kind of wokened my brain. So I had an inner dialogue uh, revelation all the way up to London. Uh, and one of them was that I know what's going on because... Sky and BT, as we know, are football's paymasters. So basically, the Premier League and the FA said, well, we're having a winter break for two weeks. And Sky and BT said, of course you are, apart from the four games that we want to televise. I, I rest my case. Because why else would we? you have two games? Was it four games this weekend? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Why, uh, you notice that, you know, we have four televised games every weekend? Yeah, well, yeah, I see. So, yeah, so I, I th- found that really confusing. Yeah. I thought we had a winter break, yeah. so why did we have those games? Because of play? Sky and BT. They probably went back to the Premier League and said, <coughs> excuse me, can you read the small print in the contract, please? Um, so there you go, mate. So disgrace. Have you read, read an article recently that they were saying that um, uh, they could get rid of them completely at the next when the next contract renewal is required? Get rid of whom? Yes. And and stream each match individually. I would um, be, I would be in favour of that. I would be in favour of Amazon winning the whole lot because when Amazon did it, their coverage, not only was it brilliant, I could watch whatever game I wanted. I, I yeah. wasn't tied into yeah. Super Sunday or whatever bollocks it was they wanted to show me. I could choose my games. Yeah. That's the future. There's, there's only one small problem with that, J.K. And I think Tony J.K. means that basically uh, the Premier League basically stops selling the rights to broadcasters and starts to broadcast itself as a mm, rights yeah. holder they are not going to replace the 600 billion is it or something in, in, insane that they get for the, just the UK rights or I don't know the figures so forgive me if but, I'm wrong but we know but, it's millions if not billions they're not going to replace that in a week but on uh, when you talk about the scale Amazon's global reach is massively more than bt or sky therefore they can sell the games for your amazon prime customers without putting prices up and the premier league would still make more money yeah but you see yeah but amazon were part of the bid partners for the last round yeah but that's all they were prepared to do they weren't prepared to take the whole lot on and i doubt they ever will or netflix or google or facebook they're they're not stupid they know how overpay you know how much sky and bt i mean bt have been questioning uh the, the 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 lunacy of how much they spent for the rights you know everybody else knows how mugged off sky and bt are yeah. for paying this much so nobody's going to pay that much again it's a huge risk if, if you know longer term it's going to take a it's a real gamble if premier league do this because they've got to say will we get as much if not more revenue in the time frame that we need to than we already do from the current broadcasters. I, and I would be... I, that's a big gamble. They may well do, but it's a big I, gamble. Yeah. I, I will always just look at the global reach, the, the, sh- the, the sheer global reach that those other companies have. Yeah. 
But they haven't done it so. They haven't done it so far because they've managed to screw people of more money than it's worth. Exactly. But you know, when BT and Sky, you know, they obviously have right. They they make money by selling those rights abroad. They onward sell them, almost like subbing it out, if you like. And I just think you know, one company like Amazon, that they've got more money than most countries have got. So well, they're yeah. yeah. Bezos is the richest man in the world. It's the economy's of scale argument. I know we're going to track. Yeah, I think if a business plan is worked out that they think they can, they can uh, uh, year upon year make more of a profit. I think they'll be straight in there Mm. if it's a subscription service. I just think that's that has the potential. They just have to work out how many people are likely to take it on, aren't they? Or whether they charge specific uh, what the the rate would be for charging per match. They'd have to make it a season ticket or something. I'm sure they're working this out at the moment. You know, they've got accountants to be doing all of that in addition they'll probably still need to sell the brights to broadcasters so they might even get double bubble anyway we digress which is not about not a problem because if there was a show to digress on (laughs) it is this one but uh we do have we have lots of plans for you lovely people tonight uh you think just because there's no football to talk about that there's not much to talk about but au contraire we've got a packed packed show and on it uh we're going to discuss chelsea's season so far focusing on the highs and the lows. We're going to have a look at the run-in and Chelsea's chances of making the top four and look at just how important it is or not for Chelsea to secure Champions League football. <clears throat> in part two, we discussed the future of Stamford Bridge with the planning permission to, uh, due to run out in March. What will happen and do we in fact need a new stadium? Uh, we'll also look at which players we expect to go in the summer as well as looking uh, at those who we want to stay, starting with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, of course. But when, when will he be back? Uh, and in part three, this is what I kind of uh, tipped the wink on last week. We're going to throw the show over to our listeners in Mixler, the lovely people in Mixler, and our Patreons to have a Q&A, uh, a question and answer, for those who are unfamiliar with that acronym, on whatever you want to ask us. And it could be anything, you know, football-related, current, past, or anything about us within reason um the patreons have already had their go there are several questions that have come in from some of our patreons uh but i will keep reminding you mixler people uh and uh nearer the time have a think of your questions now and then in the break uh, at half time if you could start posting them uh, otherwise you see if you post them now i won't be able to scroll back and find them all so but anyway i will keep reminding you uh, and in part four of course as ever uh, we wrap up with a, a few spanking emails. Very good ones tonight. Now, don't forget, of course, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, as so many of you do. Including uh, me. Including Tony, uh, who is, uh, who, 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 who in fact, actually, because he was in Mixler last week, ended up being on the show. So there you go. But... <laughs> Uh, Planet Earth is Blue, Kev M, John Marshall, Aussie Side, My Broken Leg, the lovely Claire McConnell, Disco Donny. That would be Daniel Janu. Jan- you see, last time I, sp- I spoke to Daniel, I-, I got the pronunciation of his name right, and now I've forgotten it, but never mind. Anyway, Brett McPhee, Andrew Self, Rob Coombe, Jaroslav Blue, Torhouse, Loco Coco Pops, Jess Hogue, Icon Boogie, lovely name that. So many more of you. I could be here all night reading you all out, so I won't. But thank you, as ever, for, for joining us tonight. We'll be back in a minute to talk about the football.
Okay, uh, we're back, of course. And uh, first item on the agenda, which is going to be a bit of a riffing kind of a show, uh, but in a, in a wonderfully good way. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's a good chance to kind of reflect back on the season so far, um, which, of course, started <clears throat> with a horrendous 4-0 loss away to Man United in a game where we actually played reasonably well, but United basically scored with every shot they had. Uh, and then we lost on penalties to Liverpool in the Super Cup, uh, a cup which I personally would have liked to have seen us win again. Uh, but again, we played really, really well and were very unlucky in a sense to, to, to lose on penalties. But the reality is, is that when we started the season, as we have said pretty much every week since then, none of us really expected much. I think a lot of us thought we would be in mid-table, largely because, of course, we hadn't brought anybody in because we had the transfer ban and, of course, we'd lost Eden Hazard and, you know, Frank and Jody were somewhat of an unknown quantity, as were the myriad of youngsters uh, that came into the side. But they've all done very well, I think. Uh, You know, the youngsters in particular, Tamori, uh, you know, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham in particular, have all uh, excelled, I think, this season. So it's been, I think, far better than we thought. But what what are some highlights? What are the high points for you, Tony? It's a tough one. I, I, I don't want to say the Man United game. Oh, yeah, that Man United game, it was obvious to all that that was, that was just one of those against the run of play. You know, there, were, there was no panic. Um, I'm going to say one of the high points for me was the defeat to Liverpool at Stamford Bridge 2-1 where, um, and I've said it before, it was it was like the old boxer against the young. Uh, the old boxer's done enough to get ahead on points, and then for the last few rounds, he's absolutely on the ropes, gasping and waiting for that final bell to go, um, because for that t- last 20, 25 minutes of game, we pummeled them. We absolutely pummeled them. The football was... M- a hundred times more exciting than any single game I watched under Sarri last season. Uh, it was thrilling, and at the end, pretty much everybody in that stadium stayed, stood up, and cheered their players on. And that hasn't happened since we won the Premiership. You know, in that sense, I'm not even sure the depth of emotion was even there then because this was something special. This was like it was like the end of Rocky One where you're thinking, shit, just didn't quite do enough. But my God, we put the shits up. And for a team that we are probably four years behind in terms of development. Um, so that is one massive high point for me. Uh, a low point, I think, would be Everton away. <laughs> That'll happen that day. I think... Uh, they got beaten up, didn't they? Yeah. I, I, but I, again, I think, that, that, you know, that was, that there was Duncan Ferguson uh, interim manager bounce. And um, I think there was... I don't know. It, it, none, nothing worked that day. That, that, that I've always said that the greatest love songs are written in angst. No one, no great love song is ever written by someone going, "Hey, I'm so happy. My life's all great." Because everyone just goes, "Oh, fuck, who cares?" Yeah. And I think the the love song that's written at the end of this will have come from some of the angst and pain that we're seeing, because that that will teach these players. They learn more from that. Um, and I, you know, I'm I'm enamoured by what I've seen. And I know there are critics out there who think we're you know uh, people on Twitter and that who think we're in the deep shit and this is the worst they've ever seen. And uh, uh, fine, that's a, that's a, that's their opinion. It's not mine. And I'm really really pleasantly. You know, I feel good about what I'm seeing. I feel good about the future, and I think Frank has a free pass this season 
and maybe next because something is being built for once as opposed to just thrown together uh, with a, a you know an experienced manager who says yeah okay, I can make this work for one or two seasons and then knows where they're going to go so mm. yeah you know that's that's my view of it and I'm, I'm honestly the football this season for the most part has absolutely beaten any of that dull ass tippy tappy football dressage I watched last season. Mm. Good stuff, Tony. Lovely start. Uh, Jonathan, uh, same question to you, really. Uh, what, what are your highs so far this season? And I'm not talking venison pies. <laughs> so unfair. I took Marco the other day. Um, they, alas, didn't have any no. venison pie. They had some really interesting um, meat pies at the end, which he uh, one of which he gobbled with great alacrity and... Uh, um, um, and seemed to be tucking in very well indeed. But no, I was disappointed that because such a great man like Marco was there, you'd think they'd have brought him his own venison pie. Um, and you think there'd have been 10 waiters delivering it and bowing and scraping to him. But no. Um, uh, what do I think? I think the, all the, high, the highs for me is the, the way they played after the United game. Uh, and where you could prophesy that they would score four goals, and they would because the attack was uh, fantastic for a period, and the pressing was fantastic. Um, so the four goals against uh, Southampton, for example, was Southampton they scored four, wasn't it? And the uh, yeah, and the um, the four against Burnley, all of those games where they uh, completely destroyed the opposition with this fantastic quick passing, and that was when we we. Uh, embrace the whole idea of playing the youth in particular my lows would be how it seems to have slightly fallen apart with this pressing and with the the lack of speed of passing which i have to say they replicated the other day um uh, when they played leicester for the first 20 minutes when they were fantastic but now we've got into a situation where they can't score and i'm afraid tony we're going to have some contention here i think it resembles Sarridom at its worst when they just plink and plonk the ball about and don't get it into the into the goal. And I think there is a comparison. I think somehow when he ceases to press in the proper way and they cease to pass the ball at speed, which to some extent was what Sarri was after and they failed to do it, um, it becomes a bit laborious. And that is what we're seeing. Um, other than, but it's uh, you can't really compare it. I'm being a bit um, naughty here, but it, it, to me, it's it's the fact that we cannot put the ball away in the final third, and particularly in the penalty area, and all these bizarre moments where they manage to do the most Sunday league thing that I I'm utterly bemused that professional footballers can do this. To, I mean, you know, Abraham falling over, Adoy miss kicking, air kicking. You just um, mount taking and passing the ball four times to actually shoot. Now that that uh, you know, I think I'm afraid, Tony, that if if you'd said that Sarri had been managing that game the other day, you'd have said, "I hate him. I want him out. It's dreadful." And it was Frank managing them. And I and I'm I don't understand why this is happening. And I, I keep going on about this at the moment. So those are my lows. But as you said, Chich, we're we're willing to give. Um, Frank, uh, every opportunity. And and what I also want to state that uh, people having a go at the board have to remember that 
uh, as if somehow looking for moments when Frank is uh, upset, like trying saying that, you know, he chose the team the other day with Pedro in it deliberately to have a go at the board because there was no transfer activity. You can bet your bottom dollar that Frank has been involved in it all because Peter Cech is there and it's they're trying to make it into a much more um, balanced environment so you don't have somebody coming in and saying uh, blindly even the board buying players they're all going to check up on it and I think that's why there was no activity because a players were asking for stupid amounts of money but also he, he's trying to get a specific side together because he has an idea of what he wants and as you said Chidge this is what makes it as you said Tony as well this is what what makes it um, uh, a transitional season in the best possible way so uh you know i'm i'm um, my hopes are high because i think that there will be purchases in the summer um that we will be very pleased with but they won't be panic buying and they won't be players at the end of their careers which is what we would have got in the in the window if we'd bought good stuff all right um well i'll pitch in with with mine and i i mean you know <clears throat> be fun to pick out a few uh you know, a few uh, a few games Specifics. as well. Um, sorry? Specifics. <clears throat> well, yeah, if you like. I mean, you know, I think highs in terms of the game. I mean, I think you're right, Jonathan. There was that lovely run, wasn't there, in September uh, where we put a whole string of wins together and, and our away form was fantastic. The way that we thumped uh, Wolves away, although they yeah. were in, in yeah. disarray at the time. Um, I think my per- personal heart... I think, that, I think our best performances uh, for two different reasons... Would I think the best one is probably the Ajax away. I, I just didn't expect Chelsea to be able to go to you know what is a very good side who hadn't lost in Europe there for a long time, uh, and do a do a proper kind of European away performance. I didn't. I nobody expected the youngsters to have the maturity to do that, and I thought that was brilliant to mug them off one nil, and and equally for completely different reasons, and in a sense the four four at home against Ajax is an encapsulation of the season really. Just amazing and brilliant, you know, attacking, but absolutely woeful at the back. Uh, but I really loved the fight that they showed in that match to come back. And again, you know, in the Champions League, where they are very inexperienced, I didn't expect them to do that. So those would be amongst the highs, apart from obviously beating Spurs and Arsenal away, that always warms the cockles of an old man's heart. Um, I would agree with, with you both to an extent. I mean, it, it has been disappointing that they've they've kind of faltered since really losing uh, away to City in November, but you know it's going to happen sometimes. I think, as I said, I think in a sense the form uh, since November has been more indicative of what I thought we would probably have for most of the season, or perhaps you know in a sense I expected it to pick up towards the end of the season. But you know I, I I'm not massively surprised, but because it was so good beforehand, it's it's felt a lot more disappointing. Um, other lows for me are the fact that we, you know, that Batshuayi hasn't really trained on, that we've got issues defensively. Uh, Kepa's been a bit disappointing, but I've I've been delighted with so many of the other players, the Tamoris of the world, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Reese James. I mean, wow, what a revelation he is! So you know, I think if you were to to call it on balance, I would I would say. You know, it's been a season so far of more highs than lows. And as I said earlier on when I was introducing this, the fact that we're sitting in fourth position uh, with kind of technically, a five, you know, if we win our next game, a five-point gap over fifth is way beyond 
uh, where I expected us to be. Now, talking of uh, where we are right now, um, I thought it would be a good idea to have a look, not just, you know, because we, we've been looking at the, the next couple of matches coming up recently, but uh, I thought it might be a good time to look at all of the matches coming up uh, towards the end of the season, because, you know, we are about to approach approach the business end of the season, as we know. Um, and uh, we really need to think about whether we can uh, whether we can actually maintain our fourth position and get into the Champions League. What I've done, the boys will know this because they've got uh, all the paperwork that I've got, but I've basically laid out all of our fixtures uh, in the Premier League. Uh, and in comparison, I've, I've got United, Sheffield United, who are fifth, Spurs in sixth, Everton in seventh, United in eighth, Wolves in ninth, who I would say are all, at the moment are direct competitors for that fourth spot. I've not included Arsenal because they're, they're 10 points behind. I think they're out of it. But the others have all got a sniff if they play their cards right. Um, I'll be honest, chaps. I, I, you know, I think I'm feeling quite okay. I mean, unless we play like twats, then I, I think, you know, I, I'm quite confident that we'll, we'll get fourth. And one of the reasons for this is really as a result of what I found today when I did a bit of homework. Uh, and that is that all of the teams that I've just mentioned have all got, you know, equally difficult run-ins apart from Man United. But basically, we all have to play each other in and around, you know, the top six or, or eight, as it were. Uh, so it's going to be tough for everybody. And right now, we're in the box seat, Tony, I think. Um, I agree. I, I think... If you were to average out the, you know, the number of defeats or wins that each of those teams get, they're all probably going to be quite level, which maintains where we are. Does that make sense? It's a bit like a game of golf where you are going into the last four or five holes and you know... Dormy, dormy two, mate. Exactly, exactly. That, you know, the, the other guy's going to make as many mistakes as you... Um, and therefore, you know, your position with a, you know, sort of two up with four to go or whatever, you you should be holding on at that point, um, even if they get one back. You know, it, it, it's just the kind of to and froing of sport. Um, and I think that would be a remarkable result. I, I, I don't, we're not we're not Arsenal. We're not going to be happy with fourth, but we're undergoing a bigger transition, I think, than than, than I can remember since Mourinho came in, since, you know, since Roman took over, um, when that was all about, you know, buying players that were had your eyes popping out because you just couldn't believe this was Chelsea. Um, and I think that's, it, it's, it's very important. And, and if we do that, we will have exceeded my expectations, which was, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, mid-table, like you said. Um, and looking at that, are Man United that good? They bought a couple of new players. Well, they bought one new player, I think. Um, but they've got equal amounts of issues that we have, if, uh, uh, and possibly worse, because they now have a hostile fan base um, to both their manager and their board, which we don't. Um, and Tottenham, who, let's face it, haven't exactly set the world on fire since Mourinho came in, have they? Um, it's still Pochettino's side. It's still a side with the same failings. So those two games... Um, I think are critical. Now, if we come out of them with four from six points, I think we would all be patting ourselves on the back saying, well, we've, you know, we've done that. We've done exactly that, held them at bay. And they now go their own way for their part of the season and we go our own way. We've got um, uh, a, a game against Everton. I, I, you know, Carlo's run isn't going to go on forever. I just don't think that's going to be the case because, again, um, it's still the silver side. 
Um, Manchester City at home. I think our lads will fancy that. That's the Villa away. I think we should be, we should win that. Um, so I, I'm looking at those games, thinking <sighs> we would have to we would have to have a collapse of enormous proportions. When you look at you know we've played all them teams this season, and, and you know barring Liverpool, um, and we've got them away second game, second last game of the season. They'll have, they'll have won the league by then, so any victory is potentially pyrrhic anyway. But I still think we would. You know, our, our lads won't be scared going against Liverpool, having played them twice, and I think we'll beat them in the FA Cup. So, yeah, fourth. Um, uh, is there a possibility we can catch Leicester? They, they'd have to drop off dramatically because they're eight points in front of us. But, um, you know, we still, we're still we still in the box seat here. We, we, we very much are. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I would still be confident we can do, do fourth, potentially third, from mm. where we are now. JK, I mean, you know what? <clears throat> Out of all the teams behind us, I think Tony said some interesting things there, you know, because uh, I think Man United are, are, are not a good team. I don't think Tottenham are. I think they're a team in decline, and I don't think Mourinho's had time to turn it around with his own players yet. I think Wolves will be exhausted by the time they get towards the end of the season. And I don't, Everton, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write Everton off, you know, because Carlo Ancelotti's a canny guy. The team that I'm most worried out of all of those is Sheffield, Sheffield United, United, actually. Yeah, yeah. You, you would agree with that. Well, nobody seems to have sussed the way he plays. You'd have thought by this stage people have noticed that certain things and stopped people. But And I was watching them, um, I watched match of the, the extended match of the day last night because they didn't have the other games. So we all we saw about half an hour, didn't we, of Sheffield United um, and uh, against Bournemouth. And I have to say, I, I thought Bournemouth played excellently. I really like Bournemouth. I think what he wants to do uh, with the team is really laudable, but it's just not working at the moment for whatever reason. I was really impressed by um, how they dealt with set pieces, Sheffield United, which has been one of our uh, downfalls this year, one of our problems. Um, the the pressure that he puts on by having all these big blokes just descending on the ball is quite fantastic. He's a clearly a very, very canny um, manager, isn't he? Do you know, uh, my, my kind of Sunday breakfast show mucker, um, Paul Mortimer, used to play with uh, Chris Wilder when he was at Charlton. Oh. So I, I keep getting some really interesting insight upon Wilder, and he says he's brilliant. He said he's always been like this. He, the thing about Wilder, he was underrated as a player, underestimated as a player, and it's exactly the same as a man. He was a chubby little bloke, uh, you know, and people thought, oh, well, we'll have you. But he read the game so well. He's a clever, yes. clever bloke. And he's the same as a manager. And his man management is just brilliant. Uh, and, and this is what oh, well, he you does. Can tell, you can tell, Judge, can't you? Because he's he's got players, five of whom are playing in the uh, in in uh, in the in League One, weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Several years ago. And he's, they're all being excelling in the Premier League. So. Yeah. It's it, he, in fact, is a chairman's dream, isn't he? Really, because he can, uh, if he can make all these really average players into uh, originally average, well, not even average, just you know, people playing in lower divisions into top performers. Then you know, it's it's he's in the crucible. It's turning lead into gold, isn't it? And um, didn't they just bought their most expensive player? I think what is he? The, he was twenty million, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, and so you know, that speaks volumes. But yeah, so it's interesting that they just haven't worked out what he does. There's a great deal of energy and um, applic- application and desire. There's so many things, but also tactically, I wish I knew exactly what he did. I mean, uh, it's it's centre halves overlapping. It's um, um, as we saw a couple of times in the in the game at the bridge. It's uh, it's having spare men available when you don't think they could possibly be available because he's pressing so much. It's it's um, 
it's something that nobody's worked out. But yeah, at the moment, I think it's going to be a very difficult game when we play them up there. I'm intrigued to see what will happen. I mean, I think we'll, um, I, I've said this before on the on the show, I think uh, we're so much better playing teams that, that come at us. Um, and I think we'll do well over the next few weeks because uh, there isn't anybody who's going to play two banks of five. So um, I think we'll get some decent results coming up. And I think that will cement our place, actually, because, as you say, um, both of you, I think they're, they're, other teams are going to fall apart because they're not. They will make the same mistakes. Um, There's always this fear, of course, that suddenly everybody below you will go on great runs and overtake you. But the way the season has been going, it's just not going to happen. I think, as you say, Chidge, I think teams are going to actually fade away even more as the season goes on, especially well, Wolves. Punching above their weight, you know. That's a good point, J.K. Everybody's beating everybody. Yeah. Outside, outside of, of of Liverpool. I mean, City are, you know, crumbling you know, ever so slightly in comparison to previous seasons. Um, but they seem to be in a good position to consolidate second. Uh, Leicester had a good run, but, you know, we've shown that you can go up there and you can get a result against them. And I think when you look at everybody else below that, Everybody is is just beating them. Nobody's putting consistent runs together, um, and I think that's that's the whole point. Everybody, it's this regression to the mean. Um, everybody is basically, you know, they're going two or three runs, then they'll go and lose to somebody who's fourth from bottom or something like that. And 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 I, I just don't see anybody out of the following pack that we're in, or on the edge of, or the cusp of, um, putting a, together a run of eight, nine, ten games of the week. Of, of week it, it's it's interesting to me that, that United, Sheffield United actually played two up, as do Southampton. And you wonder whether that may be something that people will start employing. Because South, Sheffield United play 3-5-2 yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. So you've got, you know, swamped in midfield and two strikers, only three at the back. Everybody has to be very speedy at getting back, of course. Yeah. But you wonder whether that's something that we, it's difficult for us to play yeah. uh, two up because I, the, the bat isn't isn't in the same form. And neither uh, is due of playing the same way that Abraham plays. No, and I think I think the other point is as well that, um, you know, we're now into the, if you like, the, the, the last third of the season. And Sheffield United really have exceeded their own expectations. That they, they will continue to play without fear. They, they, yeah. Got nothing to lose, play. have they, Tony? Nothing to lose. And I think that, yeah. that's a huge thing. To go, almost like you're going in with a kind of willing ignorance against whoever you play. You're 11 versus 11. And the pressure from their fans isn't there. It isn't there. The well, expectation uh, isn't there, and I think it's it, you know it's it's good for them and bad for everybody else really. Because, well, you know, it, I mean, well, we, no, we, Megs, we we were two 0 up against them at Stamford Bridge, and we drew two two. Yeah. It's like slitting wrists and all that. And boy, oh boy, has that been shown to have been you know the, the teams that we've lost against uh, that, that we would have expected to be even Southampton, uh, you know, have all gone on on good mazy runs to to drag themselves out. You know, so whether we play them at the wrong time or not, but it doesn't matter. Sheffield United are the ones that I think potentially, you know, uh, are the ones that we need to, to keep out. No, no, I, I, I think you, you make a good point there because they have nothing to fear and they've got nothing to lose. And a lot, I mean, this is what everybody seems to forget. You know, when they look at these run-ins, they go, oh, we've got, we've got Liverpool last, oh dear, and Wolves, that's not going to be good. And they go, oh, you know, much, much better off having a team down the bottom half of the table. Well, that's not necessarily the case because if you're, if you haven't been relegated yet, you're going to be fighting tooth and nail to get a result. So that's not going to be an easy match. And on the other hand, the fact that we've got Liverpool 
is our penultimate match. They they might they might have you know. Let's hope they've been beaten somewhere along the line, and they're not trying to get a bloody invincible type thing going. But there's a good chance that that they might not be on it like they have been. Wolves, on the other hand, who are our, our last game of the season at home, <clears throat> they you know they might be exhausted because of the Euro- Europa League or still in the Europa League. So, you know, that, that they're not foregone. I think perhaps the most important match, talking of Sheffield United, in, in our, you know, hope to get top four, is the away match up there on the 25th of April. I think, you know, if we win that, then I hope that we, we may well have uh, pretty much nailed it. Everybody else has to play everybody else. As I said, if I just run through this, Sheffield United have got to play. United, Man United away, Spurs at home, Wolves at home, us at home, Leicester away, Everton at home. Spurs have got us away, obviously. Wolves at home, United at home, Sheffield United away, Everton at home, Arsenal at home, and Leicester at home. So all their tough matches, the majority of them are at home, which is something to watch for. Everton have got United at home, uh, us away, Liverpool at home, Leicester at home, Spurs away, Wolves away, Sheffield United uh, away. Uh, Man United, I think, have got the easiest run in, in a sense. They've got us away. Uh, next up, obviously, they've got Everton away. They've got Man City at home. Spurs away. They're lot, and then they've got a very. Uh, they've got Brighton away. Bournemouth at home. Villa away. Southampton at home. Palace away. West Ham at home, and then they get Leicester away as their last match. So that's you know, if United are there or thereabouts going into the run in proper, then that could be a problem. And Wolves have got Leicester at home. Spurs away. Sheffield United away. Uh, Everton at home and their last match of course is against us away so mm. everybody is going to take points off each other mm. in and around that top four so I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued by the United um the, the the view that it's a slightly easier run when they could be up well on, on paper teams, in terms of what I said yeah mm. on paper in terms of what I said a minute ago that you know Brighton could be fighting for their life Bournemouth could be fighting for their life Villa could be fighting for their life Southampton could be in the relegation battle again Palace could be West Ham will be down by then, no doubt. But you know what? You know, on paper they look easy, but the reality is they could be hard. And United, you know, as I said, they've they've come a cropper against a lot of sides like that. It won't be over, Tony, until the fat lady sings, mate. Indeed, indeed, that's for sure. Uh, right, we're going to move this on a tad before we go to a break, uh, because you know, obviously, the reason why <clears throat> we like to get in the top four is not just to to say. Uh, we're amazed that we managed to do it this year, this season of all seasons, when it's been really difficult for the reasons we've oft stated. But um, it seems to take on massive significance uh, to the club uh, in terms of uh, generating a lot of money if they get into the Champions League. Uh, but also, and we should be mindful of this perhaps, in attracting the kind of world-class talent that we will probably need come the summer as uh, part of the rebuilding process. Now, I came across a fascinating... I don't know if you follow the Swiss Ramble on Twitter, but they are they are gold dust. But they've just done a massive, massive, massive analysis of uh, television revenue in terms of uh, the Champions League. Now, I'm just going to read you out a few things from here. I mean, the boys have got the wonderfully multicoloured um, bar charts that the Swiss Ramble have uh, produced. If you want to check this out, by the way, just go and follow Swiss Ramble. Uh, not Swiss Roll or Swiss Tony, at Swiss Ramble uh, on Twitter, and then you can have a, just delve back into their tweets and you'll find all of this. But over the last eight years, so, you know, basically going back to 2012, 
Uh, English clubs have earned nearly 2 billion, 2 billion euros in Europe TV money. City have led the way with 429 million euros, followed by Chelsea at 365 million euros. I won't bother reading the rest because that's all dull. It's just about us. Um, But... uh, here, the, here are the interesting here, interesting points. Even though we won the Europa League in 2019, the £41 million earnings were still £17 million, that's 29% lower, than the £58 million we received for reaching the Champions League last 16 in the previous season, right? Now, that £58 million in 2018 was the highest amount we've received to date from Europe, uh, though the £48 million distribution in 2012 actually represented the largest percentage of total revenue, namely 90%, as you would expect, because we won it. Um, but Europe's share dropped to 9% in 2019 due to... Sorry, our share dropped to 9% in 2019 due to playing in the Europa League. So basically, the Europa League, as we've all often known, is, is just really literally not worth the money it's printed on. Um, however... Although we got lower money from the Europa League, uh, our revenue continued to rise, and it has done four years in a row, although the 2019 year on growth was only four, $4 million. Uh, but the growth in the last two years was a healthy $85 million from $361 million to $447 million, and European TV money was one of the main reasons, with a $41 million increase, as Chelsea didn't qualify for Europe at all in 2017, but this was outpaced by... Uh, 47 million pounds worth of commercial growth so i think you know without boring you stupid and making this sound like the money show uh whether we like it or not and you know people of my vintage and jonathan's vintage and uh, tony's vintage will get a bit kind of you know bollocks to it all attitude uh the reality is is that i think also when one factors this in as well because we know that the club gets their revenue from three areas it gets it's commercial revenue so that's selling shirts and sponsorship deals match day revenue so that's ticket sales and anything that's spent on the match and broadcast revenue and out of our total revenue uh something like 40 odd 41 percent maybe a bit more is is tv revenue um a similar amount in commercial revenue but a bit lower and only 15 percent from match revenue so in terms of potential to grow revenue the only area you can really do that is earning tv money in competitions and the best way to do that is to earn it not just in any old european competition because the europa doesn't give you too much but absolutely the mother load is going deep into the champions league because that's what really makes you the money and of course because uh you know and that also will of course i think add on to an increase in commercial revenue because you you have a bigger name and everybody knows who you are and you can sell more shirts but what you what we can't do particularly is expand our match day revenue very much. And, of course, we're falling behind a lot of our rivals. More of that in part two. But the reality is is that Champions League money is massively important to the club, whether we like it or not, Tony. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to have seen that in proportion to the money you get from the Premier League, um, as a comparison, you know, season by season, I still think you get more from the Premier League. Um, But it, it, it is important. But, as we've seen... Okay, Liverpool missed out on the Champions League for quite a few years in their barren years, and uh, it just took some wise investment and a very good coach to come in and and kind of rectify that. Um, Arsenal, I think Arsenal have been out of it for about two or three years now, haven't they? I think, um, and you know they. I have no doubt will eventually come back. So I think it's it's not the be all and end all. It's just an important part, and I would hate to think that we're a club that's built, and, and we can't be because we've 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 missed the odd year in it um 
but you know that's purely built on you know Champions League revenue or bust. Um, that that for any club would be a completely unsustainable uh, business model, wouldn't it? Um, I'm more concerned about the other side of things that we're going to come to later on. You know, match day revenue and 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 the ground, etc. But um, it is important. I I, I will always maintain. Uh, as I've said to you before, that after 2012, I almost retired as a fan because I thought I've seen it all now. It's just nothing else is ever going to match that. Um, and, you know, should we win the Champions League this year, next year, whatever year, um, it will never match that first time. It never can. Um, it's good to be in, but I have a feeling that the competition itself, I mean, I, I don't know, Jonathan might might uh, agree with me here, but it was it was an exciting competition when it was the European Cup, you know, and, and it was just down to that kind of pure knockout thing. I think the more it becomes leagueified, if you like, the more we head towards this kind of European Super League um, ideal that uh, UEFA seem to be pushing. And it is getting closer, I think. Um, and the money will drive it that way. Um, the, the, I think it will just, it will become another point of disconnection to uh, long-term or, or whatever, season ticket holding fans or whatever. And I think that is the danger of where it goes with the Champions League and the power um, of the money in it. Mm. It's all about what they can sell on though, isn't it? It's why of the Europa course. League doesn't work because... Uh, um, Chelsea playing a, a group of part-timers from Latvia has a, no interest around the world at all. Whereas uh, Chelsea playing a you know a top Bundesliga side is going to create uh, uh, waves everywhere, and that's why the money is made because all the broadcasters can sell it on. That's why so much money is ultimately made, yeah. and that's why the you know for all the the joy of being in the Europa League and winning it, it is very much a second-class competition. I mean, it's it's. Great when, that we do win competitions like that, but last year was the only two teams that were any good were Eintracht and Arsenal. Everybody else was it was like watching park football, you know. And I, I hate to say it, but that's why Giroud became top top scorer because they couldn't deal with it. But <laughs> well, um, there we go. That's an interesting. That's an interesting point there. I mean, look, the reality is, is that as I said, you know, I don't like it all being about money, but I and, I, and this is a point that we are we are going to return to, you know, in a minute, but. Is it a reality that, you know, for our kind of, you know, financial sustainability or sustainability as a club, that actually we do have to be in the Champions League and going deep in it? Because actually that's, as I said, that's where you make a bigger margin effectively, because we are at the moment limited in what we can bring in on a match day. Uh, so therefore, it is very, very important. And I mean, if I'll give you an example, Jonathan. You know, I'm a great lover of the Deloitte uh, money football money report, as you know. Uh, which I'm looking at right now, funnily enough. And uh, we've been eighth uh, in that for a long time. And we slipped down to ninth uh, the last year, so up till the end of 2019. Uh, and we slipped down to ninth behind, would you believe, Jonathan, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, now, the reason for that is twofold. Number one, uh, they had a new ground where they could get more people in. And number two, they got to a Champions League final. I mean, they've been nowhere in the Deloitte's League. Uh and now suddenly they're eighth uh, behind Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, Man City, Liverpool. Then, then they're, they're eighth and we are ninth above Juventus, Arsenal, Borussia Dortmund and so on. So yeah, it does make a difference. They've, made, they've spent huge amounts of money and are in debt with, uh, with their stadium. 
So is that not taken into consideration that they've spent? No. And it, it doesn't. It's just it's on all about revenue, mate. Immediate revenue, isn't it's it? It's about yeah. revenue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in a sense, it's a bit fake because they've they've they're in huge debt. It's how um, business is reported, though, J.K. Of course, I know, I know, I understand. Your 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 your, your assets are capital expenditure, and you know can yeah. be written off over a period of time against your. And, you know, I work for a company that. It's revenue obsessed. It's all about that. That's what the city cares about, and that's what the yeah, no, indeed, care yeah, that's about. Yeah, for the shareholders as well. Isn't yes, it? of course. It's yeah, the, they have profit and, warnings. Profit yes, warnings when people don't make a yeah. profit. When you think, but you own so much um, uh, retail and, and property everywhere, it doesn't seem to make any difference. It's all about about being seen to be successful, regardless yes. of your your borrowings. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah. But no, it's just I mean, we can then refer this to Abramovich because in reality he could, if he wanted go straight back to the uh, the successful pattern that he's had before. Um, and yet they clearly don't want to do that with the with the use of the youth. And this this fits his the way that he set the club up, which is for the youth then to be um, yeah, folded yeah. into the mix, as it were. But um, uh, I'm sure um, I'm sure there will come a moment if we don't have any success that we over the next few years, that uh, his pride will be peaked. And I think he will then just provide huge sums again. Well, we'll, just, we'll, we'll see, him. won't we? We'll, we'll see, Jonathan. I mean, I, I, we may, you may well be proved right. But, I mean, even if that does happen, uh, you know, I would expect that. Whether we like it or not, again, business, uh, football clubs are businesses now. Yeah. And in business, you try a strategy. If it doesn't work, you change the strategy. Otherwise, yeah. you go out of business. So, you know, with my business head on, I would have no problem with that. Although what I would say, JK, just to pick up on, on something that you said there, and I think you're dead right on, I think given what we're saying about uh, the money here, and I think with particularly with an eye on FFP where Chelsea have had their fingers burnt, I, I do think that a lot of what underpins the current strategy is that the club perhaps feel it's much better to get players coming through the youth, making it in the first team, becoming really good, if not world-class players, and to be valued at, say, you know, 50, 75, 100 million quid than it is to go and spend 50, 75 and 100 million quid on people, which affects them from an FFP point of view, given the limits yeah. to the revenue that we have. So, you yeah. know, there is perhaps a business strategy behind playing the youth, not just to, you know, something to keep old gits like us happy and misty eyed. But there we go. <laughs> well, no, it also fits in with the with this with the academy, which is uh, totally huge amounts of money on. Yeah, it would fit in. No, I agree completely. I think FFP is the the elephant in the room. Unfortunately, it's something it that we, which um, uh, annoyingly, I think City have managed to somehow circumvent. Um, uh, with a, a bizarre series of accountancy. It's called cheating, mate. Uses. Yeah, that I don't really appreciate. <laughs> and that whole business with, with because they came clean, that they avoided a transfer ban. And because we disputed it, we immediately get the transfer ban was just absolutely, um, well, typical, I think, of uh, of UEFA and, uh, having a go at us, actually. I don't All think right, well, they're their favourites. Uh, the other side of this coin, as I alluded to a minute ago, is, is the stadium and the limit that we have it being a... A 42,000-seater stadium when all of our rivals have got 60,000 and bigger. So uh, in part two, we're going to kick that off by having a look at that and seeing what kind of a difference that might or might not make. We'll see you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. 
total nutters and proper chels. All right, welcome back. This is, of course, the Chelsea Fancast with the wonderful Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera. And uh, the equally delightful Mr. Tony Glover. Uh, bonsoir. Bonsoir, madame. Uh, <clears throat> now, before we get back into the hurly-burly of it all tonight, uh, I should tell you, number one, uh, Chelsea are leading the uh, Wolves youngsters 4-0 in the, uh, in the FA uh, Youth Cup match. At the moment, I have I've actually got it on my phone watching it, but I haven't seen any of the goals. But they were like one nil up, and then about ten minutes later, they were four nil up. So God knows what's going on. Uh, but it's all good. Um, now, secondly, equally good, uh, but not very youthful, is the Chelsea special podcast, which I do with the wonderful Martin King, uh, where we go around and we interview a lot of former players and some noteworthy supporters, uh, and then we put them up onto this place called ChelseaSpecial.Podbean.com. And for a small fee, less than the price of a cup of Costa coffee, you can download and listen to them. And we've done some great people so far. Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Ron Chopper-Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, John Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Canners. Uh, and uh, there are many, many more in the pipeline. So if you haven't already had a chance to get on these, you really need to. Because they're, they're really these guys have opened up to us, I think, in a way that they perhaps would not have uh, opened up to others uh, for reasons that I you know don't know but i just that's the feeling i get uh the other one we've released of course is danny harkins he used to be uh one of the infamous shed boys back in the day and uh martin's got an interview on there as well he's 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 hilarious well worth a listen to so go and check them out 2.99 each uh chelsea special dot podbean dot com uh and then you just go to that page and then uh, there's a home page there and then you scroll down find all the episodes click on buy single episode now uh and then part with your cash via uh, i think it's credit cards you can pay by uh, and then you can download it and keep it forever. Uh, and, of course, check out the ChelseaSpecial.com website and follow them on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special uh, and on Facebook, the Chelsea Special. Right, enough of all of that. Time to get on with more chat about the football. Uh, and we were talking a lot about money and uh, the Champions League and the importance of finishing in it and all of that before the break. And uh, what what's kind of come back into the news cycle recently is what's going on with the Stamford Bridge redevelopment. Uh, not least because um, some somebody very clever realised that the uh, the planning permission uh, basically runs out at March. Now, anybody who's ever done any building work will know that you put a planning uh, permission in, you get it granted if you're lucky, and then domestically you have three years in which to start the works before you lose the planning permission, at which point you have to go and do it all over again. Um, so everybody's panicking a bit that uh, it might run out at the end of March and that'll mean we are definitely not redeveloping Stamford Bridge ever, 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 ever and that's all. And that's it. Um, what I, I'll just change tack slightly before I bring the boys in because, you know, having spent a lot of time talking about the money earlier on, you know, one thing is crystal clear, which is to remain competitive and finishing the Champions League year on year uh, requires a lot of money. And, you know, every club uh, above us, apart from Leicester, have got a considerably bigger ground. You know, we're talking 60,000 plus. And that means about 100 million quid every year more for the revenue for you. So it does make a difference having a smaller ground. Uh, So, you know, not being able to redevelop it might be a problem. The other caveat to that, of course, as people who've listened to this show in the past will well know, is that the reality is, is that 
you know, the the billion quid that it would now take to to uh, redevelop that ground for all the various uh, engineering problems associated with it. Uh, that would never be paid off by the increase in seats that we would get because I think there's only going to be about 10,000 extra seats for the likes of you and me and uh, 10,000 extra seats for the likes of Jonathan. No, I'm joking, mate. But, you know, there's going to be a a bigger expanse of corporate seats there anyway. And, of course, they do command a bigger fee. But nevertheless, it's not going to be able to pay that money back. So it does beg a lot of interesting questions, doesn't it, Jonathan? Yes, just just to... to, um debate with the process if they want to extend the the three years um that is by march is being um uh, has come to its its end of the the three years planning permission they just have to start work yeah um you can because i've done that with uh, you you knock a door down yeah yeah (laughs) exactly it's as as simple as that yeah take a picture of it and send it say you've started work and then you're into it so um, if they wanted to extend it, they could do that. But uh, the, the negatives of this, I read an article just saying there were unbelievable negatives to Chelsea. Not the amount of money they've spent already on the infrastructure. Would is, be is, this the, is this the athletic one that uh, yeah, Liam yeah. and Simon did? Yeah, yeah. 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 Very clever article. Um, the, the advantage of the athletic, if anybody wants to know about it, is it, it they write very long articles. Occasionally you think, actually, you've done this article, this idea to death. But on occasions, they're given an opportunity to uh, really express what they feel about what's going on. And they're not bound by a certain number of words. So you get a really in-depth analysis of things. Uh, I should be perfect for them, the number of words I write. You would be absolutely perfect. Um, But um, uh, is it likely, I wonder? Um, Very unlikely. When when Liam's on, let's ask if you can get a gig with him on The Athletic. I'm I'm already writing for the Football London people. I know. know. What about The Athletic, though? I could do. I could do. I think they'd pay you a huge amount of money, wouldn't they? Isn't that what happens when you write for them? Yeah, probably they'd want to pay proper journalists that. Ah. (laughs) Therein lies the problem. (laughs) Therein lies the problem. Um, But, um, no, I think the dilemma is, of course, is that, as we've analysed already, is if he starts doing it... um, It'll be four years out of, you know, that's become to become even more important, I, I think. It will be four years in another ground if he does it to the way he wants to. I mean, I remember the the talk I went to on the, the whole ground. They said it was going to take them a year to demolish Stamford Bridge because of the uh, amount of of debris that would need to be taken out to a um, a site miles away to, to dump the... The material in you know you just think oh they'll knock it down and start again no they're they're according to the plans they're building down aren't they and they're building over the the uh the railway and they're using the railway to build it over as the the uh, foundation for the new big stand and it's just it's such an enormous plan oh my goodness and in the end you wonder whether it's got nothing to do in fact with him wanting to spend a billion how, how many quid it was going to be but he, he obviously wants to get investors they want to spend all that amount but whether in or whether it increases the revenue whether he might think well i'll just give them the money rather than having to go through all of this it's whether it becomes sufficiently a vanity project for abramovich to think look i've made the most aesthetically pleasing stadium in in the whole of england possibly in europe the way things are going it's the same uh, architect isn't he who did the alliance stadium so you're going to get we we know what it's going to look like it's it's buttresses and just beauty it's beautiful it's a beautiful um 
uh, um, what's the word exterior for the for the for the, essentially for the ground and um, and what they were what I was intrigued about as well what they were trying to sell which is something we haven't even discussed which I think is what Spurs are doing is what you can also do with the ground so potentially for the future it's making the whole thing as it is in American football um, a day long experience. So you go in the ground and you spend money all day. You're in there eating. You're in there for four hours. Not only the game itself. You're, it, it, that's what Chelsea are after doing. And that's what would happen if they actually built it. It would become, they would attempt to make it. It's building it for the future. It's building it for the tourists. It's not building it for your home supporter. It's building it for getting people in to experience a day watching Chelsea Football Club and the spin-offs that you would get. So the revenue at the stadium isn't just about seats. It's about grub and shirts and um, drink and every other thing that happens in an American football stadium because that is the model, I'm afraid. Mm. But that may be the perfect model for the future. Yeah, yeah. Know? And also that that's the model that a lot of season ticket holders don't actually follow. Yeah. Right absolutely. now, and I, I yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Tony, it begs a really interesting question, and, and you, 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 as always, my old son, you, re, you were reading my mind because I think what, what I've noticed very much, and that actually, there's a, a kind of a Patreon, or yeah, I think it is a Patreon question that that I will refer to later. I, I'm not going to include it because basically, I think his name's Jason. He, he's asked all the questions that have been pertaining to what we've been already talking about. So hopefully we'll, we will have answered them for him. But it seems to me that there's, a, a, as ever in Chelsea, a split mm. between those who don't give a shit whether we build a new stadium or not and those who believe it's existential that we do. Because if we don't, we'll fall further behind. We'll, we'll, we'll not yeah. ever win anything yeah, any, yeah. again. And it's terrible. And I, and I, and I, I, I hesitate, as always, to, to define the split as you know, season ticket match-going fans versus yeah. non-match-going foreign fans or old grumpy gits like you and me versus people who are under 25. It's never, ever that black and white. But what I would say is that, you know, if you haven't gone to this particular stadium, I mean, I support Chelsea pretty much because of this stadium because I went there in 1976 and I know it's completely different now, but it's all to do with that area and the whole thing for me. So if you haven't enjoyed that or experienced that week in, week out, then your attachment to it is going to be very different from the one that you and I have, isn't it? It is, of course. Um, now, I am I'm I think I'm a rare animal in that I would, uh, you know, I would have been quite happy with um, uh, the redevelopment. I would have been quite happy because I do think the people who go, oh, yeah, but it's, you know, uh, it's our ground and we're more special than anybody else, which we're not. You know, Liverpool are building a new ground or whatever, and Everton are building a new ground, and Spurs built a new ground, and Arsenal built a new ground, and United and, and City moved to a new ground. And, 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 and for some reason, there's a, a band of fans uh, amongst Chelsea that believe for some reason we're more special uh, and we're different to everybody else. And we're not. We're, you know, as you said earlier on, football's a business. And uh, ultimately, the people, uh, the bean counters and the people with the money uh, really you know they they are looking at it as a business and not looking at it with any emotional connection i i personally i would have been quite happy with the i thought the design was stunning i would have been quite happy with us going to ells court because it was within the same area if and, and there was rumors that that had um kind of fallen through and that's you know it would be cheaper to build there and build at, at stanford bridge um i'm more against naming rights being given away um than, than i am a, 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 against the concept of a new ground i think what's important 
um, is that there is an attachment there um, for a lot of people, but we're not the future. <laughs> we are most def- definitely not the future. Um, and, it's like and the I, opposite of Brexit, well, isn't I it? I think it is. I think what you're seeing... Stexit. Um, yeah, I think what you're seeing is, is that over, over a period of time, um, I, I can see the season ticket quote a dro- dropping because... They're not the people who spend the money who go in there. They're not the, the football tourism, and it will follow the NFL and it will follow other things um, where they can generate and have the daytime experience and make a bigger day out of it, which the likes of you and I are probably not going to be particularly interesting because we'd still rather go down to the cock and have a drink there and meet people there and uh, and, and grab a burger. And what I do think um, is, although there is that difference, and you know, if you want to be considered the best, then you're going to need to compete with your 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 competitors for want of a better phrase your peers like like Liverpool like Manchester United etc in terms of the ground and the pull and the theatre and that will play a part in getting players as well and I yeah. think that's an important thing is is that you can create all the atmosphere you want but if you're playing at Loftus Road no ain't gonna go there or uh, Craven Cottage Craven although Cottage, Craven yeah. Cottage is a love see Craven Cottage is one of my favourite stadiums yeah. I wonder why that is Tony because it's yeah. old fashioned and it takes you yeah. back to your youth I mean it's really interesting actually picking up on what you said Tony you know because one of the one of my high points this season weirdly was the fact that I got to take my my 13 year old nephew to his first ever game at Stamford Bridge I mean I was more excited about doing this than he was I think but it's just a lovely lovely moment when you're able to do I don't have kids of my own so it, it was the closest I'll get to taking my lad to the football and you know his his experience of things and and whatever he wants will be completely different from mine I think you know what you know because I think there are two issues going on here at the moment I think there's the the business issue and the financing issue I mean if you take uh, the club at the you know at their word that they pulled the project you know because yes. they didn't they couldn't get enough investment into it and then you now know that its cost, uh, projected cost, is is double what it was. It's now a billion, not five hundred million, and that Roman doesn't want to put more than five hundred million in his pocket. Then we're in a really a bit of a dilemma because, uh, just to backtrack a bit on the, I know the, cl- I know for a fact the club were very nervous and worried about the fact that uh, if they um, did, you know, rebuild it, it would take four years, and that would probably mean a move to Wembley for four years. They were actually worried about the fact that very few of us really seemed very keen to go, and particularly those in our age group would probably bail out at that stage. Having said that, uh, that's possibly the perfect way to instigate the kind of change you're talking about, which is to get a completely new set of supporters into the club. You know, all the bed blockers like you and me go, well, I ain't going to Wembley for four years, I'm too old, bugger that. So basically, you come back after four years, they've got a whole new supporter base they can get in there. On the other hand, I've also heard that, um, you know, because a billion is way too difficult, um, and also perhaps because they don't want to, you know, move away for four years because they've got the issue with the CPO, if they could find somewhere really nearby mm. to build it, it would cost them about 500 million and would take a lot quicker. Yeah. And, you know, would be uh, much more attractive. But there are so many conflicting things with this. This is the issue with it. I mean, I think that the, the simple question, I think I'll just ask you, because we, we should move on. Uh, Tony, for you, do we need a new stadium or not? Yes. We do need one. Uh, are you saying do we need one? Yes. Yes, I think we do. We do. Okay, fair point. Mr. Kidd, last word on this to you. Do we need I a new stadium do. or not? Yes. 
um, I would like Stamford Bridge to be redeveloped in some way or other, just because of the history of the area, the history of the pitch, the history of the the club is based there. But uh, I can quite understand if they decide if they can find um, uh, a, a ground near. I don't know what's happened to has Earl's Court fallen through completely? I'm not I, sure. It's, it's, it's steeped in rumour that, that, that the company that were redeveloping it would uh, have, have hit the usual um, rails of, of, of cash flow and, and, and all sorts of other things and, yeah. and, and therefore can't do it. And Now, we'd, we'd sniffed around Elves Court before, I think, and we'd certainly, I mean, we were, I'm not sure we were gazumped in the same way that we were definitely gazumped over Bassey, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's very few other places, but I think for the normal, you know, you can see Stanford Bridge from Elves Court Station. So you're in the area, and, and I would know, I would go with that. Yeah, I, and I think that would that would please. You're never going to please everybody, and there's obviously going to people say you no. know. Um, and I, I I remember having this debate with with um, with with dear young Tritzia, um, who balked at the idea of um, of any move, and you could not even get across to couldn't even get across to the point that actually it's triggers broom. It isn't the same ground as it was in the 60s, 70s. It's completely different, but there was an emotional attachment there for her that meant she couldn't even bring herself to barely talk about it. And I, I think uh, you've got to appreciate that. But in the cold light of day, as Chidge has said, and as you've alluded to as well, JK, it's a business. They, you know, the if you want to get rid of the bed blockers, if you're looking long term. And Roman's looking to hand this off to his son. Why on earth would he be worried about that? He can just do it if he can get the CPO on board and say, well, you'll, you'll have the right, same ownership rights at the new ground. <sighs> you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would, to me, that would solve so many issues if they could get Earl's Court. If it, and this may be what they're doing. They may be pragmatically waiting for a moment to say, OK, we'll take it over. Because then yeah. you wouldn't be leaving the ground. Um, uh, they could build it at their leisure uh, and uh, you wouldn't have to, to um, demolish Stamford Bridge. You could just then give it up when the time was necessary and move into the new stadium. And it's it would, as you say, it's it's it would be viewable from the from Stamford Bridge, and it's still in Chelsea, and uh, more in Kensington. But it's Kensington and Chelsea. You, it would to me, it would tick all the boxes if there was a possibility of that happening. Which, as I say, maybe why they're hanging about. Maybe that they're. They're thinking in terms of okay, we can uh, we'll we'll save a huge amount of money going there. So. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll uh, I'll I'll have the having promised you the last word, Jonathan. I'm going to have the you know me, I can't <laughs> resist it, can I? But I tell you what, you know, the one thing that occurs to me is this: is that there's another gamble at play here. I mean, personally, you know what. I, w- I would rather not move from where it is. I was in favour of the new stadium. I thought it was going to look amazing. And for yes. me, as I said, it, it's all about the whole day there. And, and I agree with you, Tony, about Trigger's Broom. The only thing that exists from the first time I went is the East Stand. But actually, it's in the same place, and that's important to me. I, you know, There's a reason why I bought a CPO share, and that's it. Uh, but, um, you know, in, in a sense... The gamble could well be, and I mean, there is a very strong argument to say that the match day revenue, having said what I said about the fact that it adds about 100 million to your bottom line if you get it right, but there is a there is a case to be made for saying that uh, whatever size stadium you have, your revenue becomes finite, doesn't it? So actually, the only areas of real growth are commercial and TV. So the gamble is, is that actually, and this is, this is played out all the time in social media, and we laugh about it or get cross about it or whatever, about this, oh, we're the foreign fans and we're more important than you because we pay for the TV subscriptions and all of that and 
all you do is buy a season ticket and put up with you know foul weather well whatever the rights and wrongs in that argument are uh we are a global club it is a global game it's heavily marketed abroad maybe you know the fact that we've got 40,000 people going in every week doesn't really matter much in the grand scheme of things as i said earlier on match day revenue is only 15% of total revenue so maybe don't do anything and just you know gamble on the fact that commercial revenue and uh, success and uh, you know tv revenue will just continue to rise inexorably but anyway i shall leave you all out there much cleverer people than me to ponder that one no doubt we will revisit this at some stage in the future um now press more pressing matters are at hand and that's uh what will happen in the summer having not spent any money i think quite rightly per se in the january transfer window clearly we need to to, to make a lot of amends in the summer uh, now you know I, I don't really watch anybody but Chelsea. I'm ashamed to admit because that's apparently not the done thing these days. So I don't really care or know who's around. But I think the, we, 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 the biggest problem is that we need to get rid of a lot of people, Tony. Um, who's on your list? Sorry, Chid, I was miles away. I know you were typing. Why do you think I asked you? you if you if you know me from my radio and TV presenting days, I will always uh, ask the question of the person who's just stuffed something who, in their face. Who will stay? Chid, drunk and answer. I was listening. Yeah, I, I, I mean, but it wasn't going to wind you up because you, you weren't you, eating you, anything you, or, or you doing anything. You mentioned nine, I think, last week, didn't you? The, Did I? Thought, yeah, yeah, nine players. I think you had that that that, that could go. Look, yeah, but he know, cheated, the, Tony, because he used some people who were, uh, you know, we we forgotten all about. You know, we just know. on loan. I know, but I, I, I do think that uh, I think four or five out will will be the the case. I, I'm yet to be convinced that William will go, even though he seems to be in a sort of permanent salt these days. Um, I think you know uh, you, you've got the likes of Giroud, and and the business can be done. I think also more interesting. Now you say who will stay and who will go. Um, I think you know you're, you're looking at all of the uh, the academy players that, that will stay, and Loftus Cheek will be back in, um, and I think there will be one or two coming in. I also think they're very cleverly leaving it until the Euros, when there's a big big shop window open in June. Um, for well, I hope I mean, they're not going to leave it that late. They should be planning for it now, mate. But they should be. But you'll have their, they'll have their ideas, I think, of of players that. Uh, are going to be featuring in that competition and who will shine and who they can, you know, start to make approaches for. I think that's already in place. And, and there is, you know, you you know as well as I do, World Cups and Euro Championships uh, often um, entail a, a flurry of post-competition spending to go and get those players that have shone in that on the big stage and, you know, who 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 would be fan pleasers and, 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 and accountant pleasers, you know, in terms of merchandise and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think, you know, I think Giroud would go. I think Batshuayi, I was surprised Batshuayi didn't actually go uh, in, in January. And certainly my mate, who's a Crystal Palace fan, you know, basically said they would have loved to have got him back over there. So I'm not quite sure why that dialogue wasn't open. But, but you know, there wasn't anybody to replace him, though. They can't just end um, up with two, Yeah, like... like, like yeah, and Frank have made that very plain from the outset. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that anybody, you know, it's basically anybody's better than nobody. Um, uh, and I, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I look at players like the, those that are on the fringes that were in the team last season, uh, who are obviously being um, sort of like shuffled towards the, the departure lounge uh, quietly, diplomatically. You know, let's face it. Um, there are a lot of players who are probably thinking they, they were ex- maybe have expected to have gone in January and um, will be expecting to go. And where is the dissent? Where are the leaks coming from the club about unhappy players? There aren't any. 
but that how how many years have you followed Chelsea and not had press stories about unhappy and dissent and dressing room bloody cliques and all this sort of stuff? And yet there's nothing. So either we've got very very good at managing information, or Frank is absolutely managing the players and saying, you know, this is what this is what the plans are, etc. There's no need for you to go uh, agitating. Even the agents aren't, don't seem to be agitating to get these players out. So, um, you know, who will say and who will go? I, I think you'll, any any four or five from the nine you mentioned last week, and the obvious ones are Giroud, Batshuayi, um, uh, uh, Emerson, Pedro. Uh, yeah, Pedro, yeah, Emerson and Alonso, not convinced both of them will go. Um uh, one or the other will go. Um, uh, Kepper, there's a ooh, there's a burning fire of a question mark over him, isn't there? Um, when you look at some of the keepers out there, but you know maybe something's happening in the background to try and adjust his attitude or whatever. Who knows? It, you know, uh, in a way, I, I was pissed off when the when the transfer ban was lifted a bit, Chidge. I'll be honest with you because I thought, do we really need it? We'd we'd all well, we didn't we didn't use it, so it no, doesn't matter. No, uh, but we'd all resigned ourselves to the fact that you know we were on it and yeah. and it wasn't going to happen, and we'd all been pleasantly but surprised by what we'd seen, um, and it's a baptism of fire for young players, you know, with the likes of Everton and Southampton defeats, and yet you know wins against Spurs and all this sort of stuff, and I think you know generally the, the tra- tra- trajectory <clears throat> was upwards. Um, so um, summer spending, I'm not bothered. I, I think Whoa. you know one or two really interesting players to bring in, um, and a, and a few to get out. You you don't wholesale change nine players in, nine players out. That that's just not going to happen. And Roman isn't going to spend that sort of money to do that either. I I totally yeah. agree, Tony. I think there's so many you know to offload, and you know we do need to get quite a lot in as a result. It's going to take possibly two, maybe three transfer windows to to get where we need to be. Jonathan, sorry, mate, I, I didn't mean you to be hanging on as long as you have. Let's hear your considered view on all of this. Uh, I don't agree with you at all, either of you. I think... Um, uh, <laughs> I think, no, actually, it's more... <laughs> um, uh, it's, um, uh, he's got 240,000, 240, um, with all the, the players. I mean, what we have to hope is some of these players on loan don't come back, otherwise they're going to have to push them out somehow. Um, Bakayoko and drink water and Maratta, for goodness sake, it all comes to an end. Unless what, what they'll do, Jonathan, they'll turn up at the door at Cobham and they'll go, who are you? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, well, you, you don't belong here. Sorry, Bye-bye. I don't recognise you. Um, I think... Um, uh, I think he I think he will push everybody out um, who uh, is... Is has, has become well. I think they'll, they'll be very, um, they'll be very studied about it. In that, uh, once again, if they can't get players in, their required players, I don't think they'll get rid of the players who are still under contract. I think Pedro will go because his contract finishes, doesn't it, in the summer? Isn't that right? Or has he got another year on it? I can't remember. Do you remember either of you, um, Pedro? Don't remember. No, I, I think I think it's his last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, that's likely to me that it won't be renewed because he's not been performing well, and it's an opportunity for him to go wherever in, into Miami, wherever. Um, uh, this whole process with with I got cor- corrected heavily by Yannick during the week that daring to say that this that um, the Barcelona's constant supposed demanding that that William signed for them was just. You know, it was somebody on Twitter having a laugh because he said no that William himself had 
pronounced this, but I have no memory of that happening at all. And if he did, I think he may have been stirring it up because uh, I can't quite see the attraction. But uh, I suppose as he's only got six months left on his contract, it's why not find a club to go to already? But they're allowed already, aren't they, to make their to 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 sound clubs out and clubs can sound them out if they've only got six months left on their contract. So I think we would probably have heard about it because Barcelona could go in for him now and he could say, yeah, I'm off to Barcelona in the summer, which we haven't heard. So perhaps they're going to renew his contract. And I think he's had a, had a terrific season. I think he's played exactly the way that Frank wants. And um, other than the strange selection process the other day against Leicester where he played Pedro, who just wandered around as if he'd, he'd uh, not quite worked out what colour his team was playing in, um, he uh, uh, William came on and we actually thought, well, you know, he's, he, he's given them more width. Um, I think he's had a he, he performed really well. So I think I've, I would I would suspect that they'll try and offer William a year's contract. And if he accepts that he does, if he doesn't, he'll be off. So that's two possibly off. Um, uh, Alonso doesn't fit the plan. So I think he was going to go to Milan, but they've got a strange relationship with Conte, obviously. So if it didn't work out the amount of money that that um, they wanted to sell him for, he didn't go. I'm surprised he's still there because he d- he doesn't fit into anything other than playing the three, the the, um, the old Conte way, the three five three, um, three five two. So uh, well, in a three five three, whatever it was, with the one up. Um, um, Emerson, I was really reliably informed, doesn't like it here. And uh, uh, it just didn't happen because they couldn't get anybody in to get rid of him. And this has been the big thing. And in fact, all my my contacts, people were I got taken to task once again by Chelsea Independent for daring to be. It's just been nothing but tittle tattle. He put on Twitter about my my predictions. But trust yeah, but me, none of them happened, mate. Yeah, I know. But trust me, the, the re- reason why <laughs> it didn't happen, why they didn't happen was because nobody was brought in. And otherwise, they would have happened. And the one thing he did get right, can I just say? Yeah, that's a is, good point. Is he did say that Kepper would be at the end of the of the transfer window, there would be a, uh, they would try and do something with Kepper, and he stated that. So that actually was one thing that he got absolutely right. But the other things were Emerson not liking it, wanting to go. Emerson um, Alonso going, he didn't go for for the reasons I've said, and. Uh, um, and Pedro, they thought they'd get rid of him, but they didn't get anybody in. So therefore, they they wouldn't get rid of players unless they could get people in, which was pretty obvious. Yeah, so and I, I, it makes sense too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but trust me, everybody, my source is a really good one, and to do with the club. And so these are all the things that were were, were rumbling at the time. And I've actually realised I've made an error now. If I get a- any of this information again, I will never say this will happen. I will say this is what this I... This is rumoured. This is what... Well, no, 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 they're not rumours. They're not rumours because... Well, in, they are until they're proven correct. No, 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 they're not rumours. A rumour is something that somebody's gone, ooh, this might take place or it's created. All right, all right, uh, fair In enough. this instance, it's somebody saying... This is what the club would like to do, but it will only happen if they get players in. And I will be very, very careful of saying that. Well, you know what? It's, as I, I remember the tweet from Pete, who I, who I, I know he was, he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of winding you up a bit as well. But yeah, Pete is a lovely bloke, by the way. Oh, I know, I know, I know that. And he, 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 right, he, he's the man behind the Chelsea Independent. I mean, Pete's got uh, big time uh, credentials within our, our circles, but. 
uh, I, I, I was aware of the tweet because I replied to it and I said I, I kind of long for the days when we'd have absolutely no idea what was going on and we'd turn up at the beginning of the season and there were four new players whom you knew nothing about. But the other thing is, of course, is that, you know, when none of us are in the bloody meetings or ballroom, so genuinely, unless you are sitting in there, you know, whether it's Marina, uh, David Barnard, Frank and Petacek or whoever, then none of us really know and, and, until it happens. Anyway, I'll tell you what I do know, Jonathan, and this is not a rumour, or, uh, or what the club would like to do, because it's already been done. I got a lovely email from the aforementioned Daniel Jonu. I think I might have said it right this time, from the Chelsea Supporters Sweden. Uh, should I read it? I'm going to read this to you. You're going to like this. You're going to like this a lot. Oh, I've, um, I've got his badge. I wear his badge on my jacket, by the way. Thank no, that's, that, no this, that's from Freddie. Oh, Chelsea, God, sorry, no, Freddie. no. You've, you've, got, you've got a badge from Daniel. I gave you one of those yeah, from Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. wear that one. I wear it. Well, there you go. All right, okay. This is about Edward Anderson, Edwin Anderson, sorry, who was signed for the club. Uh, and and uh, basically, he's a 16-year-old, uh, born and raised in the second largest city of Sweden, Gothenburg, spending his early days in Lerum's IS. He left for the biggest club in town, IFK Gothenburg, in 2015, where he excelled at an early stage. Rumoured to be the next big thing in Sweden, there's no surprise he's now left for new adventures with a lot of clubs in Europe being linked with the highly rated talent. Uh, there were... Talks about big teams in Spain and in Italy, as well as close links with, a Man, with Man United. But the decision to join Chelsea uh, was uh, imminent. And Edwin Anderson himself expressed his excitement about the choice when we reached out to him. It's a dream come true. Chelsea was the club... I'm not going to do a Swedish accent. Chelsea was the club that suited me best. It's a club with incredibly good conditions, said the young Swede exclusively to Chelsea's supporter Sweden. How would you describe yourself as a football player? I usually stick to the left and would well describe myself as a technical player, fast and likely to challenge a lot of one-to-ones and create chances. Have you ever been to Stamford Bridge before? Yes, I have. Magical Arena. Let's hope it's still there when you get to play in it, Edwin. Uh, finally, do you have anything to say to all the Chelsea supporters out there wanting you to succeed? Blue is the colour. Well, that's the spirit. We all welcome young Mr Anderson to the Pride of London and wish him all the best. But who is he? Well, he's been compared to Ronaldo and Hudson Odoi. Edward Anderson is considered to be one of the hottest talents in Sweden, if not the hottest. Uh, people have been speaking about him a lot lately, praising him for his quick feet and technique. Mainly, he's an attacker who can operate at both sides of the attack as well as down the middle. Last year, he won the award for best talent in Gothenburg, and he made his debut in the under-21 team at the age of 15, scoring a wonderful long-range shot. His debut for the Swedish under-17 team came at the age of 14. Blimey. Uh, there have been an incredible number of clubs from virtually all countries that have been uh, interested in him, but he has chosen to go to Chelsea at uh, this time. According to the rules, he must be 16 first, and then it's up to the clubs to agree. I like to compare him with Callum Hudson-Odoi, said his father to Expressant in an interview last year. He's a simple guy who likes a good challenge. It's all gone very quickly lately for him, and this is a big deal. It truly is. But he's not a guy who likes to show off. He's focused uh, and, on having fun only on the football pitch. Uh, by Kenneth Stahlberg and Daniel Jonu from the sports uh, group in uh, Sweden. So that that's interesting, Jonathan. Don't you think? Yes, very. You've you heard about this kid? I hadn't at all. I'll be honest no, with no, you. I, I knew we'd signed him. No, I don't. I'm, I'm intrigued. You think they they will have been? They've got tabs on him. They must. Everybody must. Surely. I mean, I, 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 I they they're really on the ball. The. Um, uh, despite what people think, the whole scouting, the scouting, the whole trawling the youth is one of the big. This is their problem, isn't it? They just pick people up and try and sign them. So yeah, I'm 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 bemused actually. Yeah, wonderful. What do you reckon, Tony? 
Uh, well, I'm going to um, keep my powder dry because it's, it seems like a uh, another fantastic young talent. That um, well, I'll see it when I believe. I believe it when I see it. I, yeah. Otherwise, it's Kakuta and McEachern and any number of other fabulous young players that ne- never quite made it. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, I'm being a downer, but you know. No, the proof, as ever, is always in the eating. And I don't think anybody would argue and grumble with that. Daniel is in. There you go. Disco Donnie's just given us a round of applause. Uh, We're giving you uh, a round of applause, Daniel, because that was lovely to hear from you and a great email. And I I haven't had a chance to reply to your uh, text either, mate. And I'm very sorry about that, but I I was working at the weekend. The bad news is, is that uh, the weekend, the, uh, the Swedish hordes are over, including the wonderful Oscar, who I haven't seen for far too long, and Harry Hemi. Uh, that weekend, mate, I'm not around. I'm going up to Glasgow for the weekend for a mate's wedding uh, who, believe it or not, is a Chelsea supporter. So what on earth he's doing having his wedding when Chelsea are at home to Everton, I do not know. So I'm not going to be there, mate, and I could have gone to see you lot in the Atlas and got horribly drunk with you and it would have been fantastic. So I'm really gutted I'm not going to see you. I am so sorry. But there you go. Um, Right, uh, we're going to move on. And uh, uh, actually, before we do, I'm just going to... Uh, remind you a lovely bit because it's kind of relevant for a change because uh, in part three uh, we're going to have our Q&A so this is your cue mixler people to start writing down any questions you want to ask of me Tony and Jonathan Uh, we've already had some from the lovely people in Patreon uh, hence the opportune moment to give it a plug Uh, and of course uh, it's uh, kind of a website thing really but what you do is you kind of subscribe to it and you you pay a monthly sum, couple of quid, three quid, four quid, whatever. It's all in dollars. And it just kind of helps me to, uh, you know, pay off the huge debts I have of producing this fucking show for the last 12 years. Um, but uh, really, it's also an idea to uh, get some more content specifically for you. I have failed singly to do this other than providing you all with signed Kerry Dixon banners. Um, but I've actually put up a post uh, yesterday saying exactly that what can we do for you i mean but you know t- tony will know this this is good business good marketing don't make it up yourself and just do it ask ask your people ask your people what they want isn't that right tony absolutely 100 of course it is there you go well i've done just that i've i've gone out there and i've uh, <clears throat> suggested a few things that they might like us to do and said please suggest a few more and, you know, within reason, you know, streaking around Stamford Bridge is not on the agenda. <laughs> no. Uh, but other than that, any reasonable request will be accepted and we'll try and do a bit more for you. And i tell you what, Jonathan, um, they're, they're, we've had a bit of feedback from one or two. They, they love the idea of post-match videos of you and me. Uh, so I need to figure out how to do that directly to Patreon, mate. Yes. But that, we got a big thumbs up for that. But there are all, all sorts of other ideas. So let us know, because I, I'm desperate to try and provide your Patreon people with, with stuff that you like, just to kind of say thank you for uh, you know, the money you donate, because it's really sweet of you to do that. I mean, you might just say, oh, fuck off, Chidge, we're quite happy anyway, and I'll go fine, no worries. But, you know, I, I, it's, I can't help it. I, I'm, I have a psychological or psychopathological issue with guilt, and it's coming out here right now regards patreon but anyway if you do want to uh, donate and join up it's patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast now after the break as i said we've got a few patreon q a questions and then hopefully the mixler people will uh you know listen attentively mixler people we need your questions otherwise this will be a very short part and it's how often do you get a chance just to ask us anything you like so get to it we'll be back in a sec Cheech. jk 
In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> but where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. This, of course, uh, is the Chelsea fan cast with me, Stanford Chidge. <laughs> Him over there coughing, Tony Glover. Yeah, hello. And, uh, <laughs> that's all right. No, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat tonight as well, mate. Uh, and, uh, of course, we also have the wonderful uh, Jonathan Kidd it's in the lo- house. Lovely to be on the show, thanks. Lovely, as ever, to hear your uh, character acting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I, I, as you can tell, I'm quite lost for words how to describe that. I tell you what, Jonathan, one of the funny things from last week was on uh, the Love Sports show when uh, Matt said, could Jonathan do the whole show in all sorts of a variety of voices? And I was going to try and kill him, but I couldn't because I was <laughs> I, miles away and I was held to ransom by him. I didn't, um, uh, I didn't respond. I just did a couple of... I did my little boy. You did. You were very well behaved considering how, how much Matt was, you know... was goading me. Yeah, he was goading you. Exactly the word. Yeah. Indeed. Anyway, right. Okay, so we're having a bit of a Q and A here. Uh, we've got some people from uh, Patreon who've asked us some good questions. I'm really hoping, although they're they're not playing, they're not playing at all, Tony. But the people of Mixler, of whom there are many in there, many of whom we know, need to start writing us some questions. Anything you want to ask us, we will answer. All right. So you get to it. Uh, and in the meantime, we've got one from Greg Joni Droney chaps who says, "Evening, Chidge, J.K., and Wise Sage. That would be you, Tony. Hello to you all." <laughs> Given the break, I've been thinking about Chelsea past and present. I was musing on if I could choose three players from our past who would have maximum impact on today's team and came up with the following. 
John Terry, JT picks himself. A great leader, impenetrable at the back and the ultimate clubman. Ray Wilkins, cultured, handled pressure, captain at 18 and great vision. Peter Osgood, goal machine, great team player and could score from anywhere with his head and left and right foot. Your thoughts. Thanks as always, Greg and Sue Droney. Tony. Tony. That's tough, that is. Um, That is tough. I'm going to go with um, one from the 70s, I think. And I'm torn between Charlie Cook or Alan Hudson here. So I think I'd probably go for Charlie Cook. I I think he would be... um, uh, a matter. He'd be, he'd be very matter-like, wouldn't he? Um, his trickery and his vision uh, and everything like that. I think in terms of um, uh, a goal scorer, it's very difficult to see beyond Peter Osgood, isn't it? You know, that's where... But um, I think a young, fit, sober Kerry Dixon, and I don't mean that in the nicest sense of the word... Um, before he injured his knee, I think, was, was utterly lethal. Uh, hideously overlooked for England um, at a time when he was um, uh, free-scoring. Um, and, again, I probably would go back for uh, a, a 70s player uh, and say that despite his lack of height, there was we've had no finer goalkeeper than Peter Bonetti. Uh, you know, absolutely fantastic um, agility... Uh, vision um, and, and you know pretty much played that second leg at uh, Old Trafford in the um, 1970 FA Cup final with a broken leg didn't he <laughs> pretty much oh, was it a broken shoulder JK what was it he got absolutely cracked didn't he by um, Mick Jones wasn't it Mick Jones yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to go with him. I mean, it's a difficult one because when you look at the players, you know, they 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 couldn't live with each other. If if you were basing on terms of it, if you were if you were pushing those players to the levels of fitness and everything, now I would probably go with those three. And I'm always going to be a bit biased towards the 70s anyway because that was my first Chelsea team. J.K. So I've slightly lost the plot here. So what what, what the three players that um, that were. Pick three players from our past who would have maximum impact on today's team. Oh, okay, yeah, Robin, Hullet, and uh, and Drogba, of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was bit, I was going a bit further back. I was. Oh no, I Yeah, it's hard to argue with Robin. Some, I'll yeah. choose Barry Bridges then instead of uh, instead of Drogba. Yeah, 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 Barry Bridges. I met him in the cock uh, a year ago or so, or two years. Oh, ago. He was loved. He was oh god, what a player he was! Oh dear, he got involved in some row with Sexton and got sold along with with Venables and all of that. And he was uh, he was so quick, and he the joy of seeing him round the centre half, then round the goalkeeper, and then just place it in. He got a, I think got a single cap for for uh, for England. As did Hollins at the time. I didn't quite know why they weren't that team weren't represented as much as they should have been, but. Um, the, uh, I was just a schoolboy. The joy of seeing him score—I can't tell you. It was and his celebration, <clears throat> the leap and punch the air. One of my my, my favourite. I had a little Chelsea kit which I bought at the time, which you got. I keep repeating this. You got from the Frank Blunston shop in Battersea. Pitch for the only people selling it. And I had a, a big nine on my back and a nine on my blue shorts, my, with the one stripe and the white socks. And it had the the blue and white piping. The little stripes on the uh, round the collar and round the uh, the cuffs, and oh god, I loved wearing that kit to play football in. Oh my goodness! 
All right, good choices, people. I'm I'm kind of enamoured of uh, very enamoured of Tony's choice of uh, of Kerry Dixon. I I'd love love to see Kerry. And of course, what we need is a bloody strike. I mean, I know Tammy is good, but you know Kerry Dixon. I I, I mean, uh, Paul Crowder mentioned this on Mixler. Although I was going to say this, Tony, Jimmy Greaves. Yes, you know, brilliant, that brilliant one, wasn't it? I, I mean, we think about it. Um, God only knows had he stayed. Um, what what he could have done, yeah, just would have been marvellous, wouldn't it? And I, he's the only player I regret not not well, yes. not the only player, but, but yeah, he's uh, you know I I really regret not being old enough to have seen Jimmy yeah. play at his at his at his peak. Dad, my dad just raves about Jimmy Greaves. I've, so. I've told you that story, haven't I, Chidge? Where where one bloke I remember I remember this. Don't know why somebody's saying what what's he done? What's Greaves done? What he's done nothing. He's done nothing at all. Nothing. Other than score four goals, he's done nothing. <laughs> nothing. There we go, and he's still sitting in the East Middle now. Um, it's, probably, it's one of those blokes <laughs> you introduced is, me to, right. isn't it? Yeah. Um, who else would I like? Um, well, I think we're we're you know uh, well JT. I, I think uh, Greg's spot on with that. I mean, he's a generational player, and boy, could we do with somebody of his leadership and all-round defensive abilities at the moment? Uh, I'd, I'd love to see. Uh, Michael Essien in his pomp in the midfield because he I mean there was a reason he was called the bison but you know the his energy his his goal scoring ability when he when he scored a few his tackling I mean every, I mean there was a time when Essien must have been one of the best midfield players in the world and his career really cruelly crippled by injury but I loved Essien and and we need somebody with a bit of bollocks in midfield because we don't have anybody so that that'd be my three so I hope that uh, answered your question Greg um okay uh we've got uh, one from Daryl Middle Ditch who says evening guys question to ponder other than the cup than a cup final what's your most memorable Chelsea game and why Tony Tony, sorry, I was on mute. It was the Champions League final. It's... No, no, no. Other, other than a oh. cup final. Oh, other than a cup final. Yeah. Um. Cool. Oh, blimey. Then I, I, I don't know. I, I could go back to a four-three win against Sheffield Wednesday, huge amount of time ago. Uh, ago. Um. Well, I think we came back from three-nil down. Um. But I think there was a game. It was. And I'm pretty sure it was Aston Villa. It was at Stamford Bridge. Uh, we were two nil down, and we came back, and we were absolutely. I think we won it three two, and the, the atmosphere. And I was in the the old West Stand, you know, Son's roof, um, and I just remember when the winning goal went in. The, the I was being climbed over by everybody, and we were, it was an all seater then, but you wouldn't have thought so that game. Um, it's a really really tough one because you've got to go back through so many games. Um, uh, but I, yeah, other than a cup final, um, how about the? Um, no, I can't do any more than that. Really, there's too many, too many to choose from, mate. Too many, just too okay. many. Okay, no, well there are. I mean, I could list ten straight off the bat, and and I and I'll I'll, I'll list a few of them off. Uh, the four four against Sheffield Wednesday in the Milk Cup because it was just such a legendary match. Uh, the one all against Arsenal at Highbury when we came back to Division One that definitely has to get a mention. Uh, personally, Napoli uh, in the yes. Champions League that that just just immense match for so many amazing reasons. The semi final against Spurs 
in the FA Cup 5-1. I don't think I've ever laughed so much at a match in my life. And talking of laughing at matches so much in my life, I would also give an honourable mention to the 6-0 drubbing we handed out to Arsenal on Wenger's thousandth match in charge. That was just stupendously hilarious. Um, I mean, and I could go on, but I'm not going to. But I hope that gives you an idea, Daryl. I Jonathan. you? Well, that, that, I'm coming to you, dear. I'm oh, coming. You? Don't I worry. Thought, I yes. Thought, I've been forgotten. Okay. Um, uh, Wayne Bridge scoring at Highbury. Oh, good shout. Um, and also beating Barcelona at the bridge when um, uh, Zola and uh, Gajonson scored. Mm. Now, Excellent choice. Why that was so good was because... Uh, it was a quarter final, and I think it was the first time we'd been in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, and the atmosphere was completely phenomenal. And when we won, I got one of those flags. I remember cycling home, waving my flag while cycling. I was so exultant of what had gone on that night, and the the emotion was just absolutely phenomenal. And it was um, it it wasn't even pricked by some git. Who, who, when I was cycling along, um, told me where to put my flag in great, uh, uh, in great colourful detail, which I suppose I deserved, as I was, you know, was was waving it to all and sundry for no apparent reason. But there, and I then, have, then going to Barcelona was such a disappointment, obviously, because we lost, having been two one up. Um, but um, and also the Chelsea Liverpool will always go on about that, uh, where um, we were two nil down at half time. And then we came back to win 4-2. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the Vicenza game as well, where they scored first, and then Hughes scored the most phenomenal goal. Uh, that was in the European Cup Winners' Cup. Um, Hughes, I, I keep going about Hughes. Hughes was a phenomenal player for Chelsea. Just really superb. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I think I think that'll do, actually. But some of those those matches going back to when I was little, going back to games where... You just couldn't believe that Chelsea had an earthly and they'd scrape a, they'd always scrape a 1-0 against somebody like United and then the following week lose to the bottom club. It was, you know, just, that was so typical of Chelsea in the 60s. Um, apparently, I saw Jimmy Greaves score four against Nottingham Forest, but I have no, obviously no memory of that because I was about five, but my dad told me that I'd seen that. He said, remember this, remember this. He said, you must remember this. Says Jimmy Greaves, it'll be off soon, and I've uh, no clue. I can't remember it at all. But um, you know, I remember that I ought to remember it. I remember being told that. So. Yeah. Right, Paul Crowder uh, has got the best question so far from Mixler. He says, "Question: What is the best recipe for shepherd's pie, Tony?" <laughs> hey, well, I, do you know what? I always, I always say that it, it's always a little bit better with some Worcester sauce. Worcester sauce, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, definitely, yeah. There you go. That's a good shout. That's a good shout. I mean, obviously, the correct answer is with lamb mince, you twat, <laughs> not beef mince. Otherwise, it would be cottage pie. It would be cottage pie. Uh, I, I wonder, I, I mean, we all know Paul very well. He's lo- one of my favourite people. And he's, of course, he's out in, uh, out in Los Angeles, um, very near where Kobe uh, Bryant uh, met his end the other week, very sadly. But uh, uh, I, I wonder when the last time... Paul had a decent shepherd's pie was that that'd be my question to him uh, anyway no doubt he'll be kind enough to let us know uh, Rob Coombe asked I was going to say uh, Cumberland pies a version with other beef or lamb yeah by the way with a layer of breadcrumbs and cheese on top and in medieval times and modern day Cumbria the pastry crust had a filling of meat with fruits and spices 
Okay, that's more information than I even knew we could have about Cumberland pies. I never knew that. I knew they had cheese on top, but bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, i got a good one for you here. Uh, Rob Coombe says, was Chelsea the first club to use the liquidator during the walkouts? No, I know that West Bromwich did it. West Brom did it. West Bromwich still do it. And, Were we first, as, as though? As do Wolves. As do Wolves, yeah. Bloody now, hell. I, I, I've been I think that. it was us, yes. I've been yes, in, I think I've it was. Been in, but they played, a lot, they played lots of one different... One of you, songs, one of you, one of you. Carry on, Jonathan. They played lots of different songs, though, early on. It wasn't a regular... There wasn't a song associated with the club early on. It was like the, the DJ of the time. So, I mean, I reckon he did, because he tended to play... I remember the Upsetters... Um, uh, um, uh, what was the up, not the upsetters? Were the upsetters? What's their up? Wasn't Return to Django? Was it that one? I think that yeah. one be played. Yeah, I think that one was played. But there's because it depended on on the on what music the guy wanted to play at the time. You know, you get lots of. Um, I remember that na 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 hey hey by Steam, that was played quite a lot as an opening number to come out to. It just depended on the whim of the of the DJ. So uh, I suspect it was, but it wasn't a regular thing. Because I remember at the time, I actually remember this, thinking, why haven't we got a song? And then they played, um, after we'd... we'd uh, um, they didn't even play Blue as the Colour to come out with, I remember. They didn't bother. They played... A, once again, they just chose whatever the DJ wanted. So I, I wouldn't know what time it became a regular song to come out to. I think, I think West Bromwich beat us to it in terms of the regularity of it. But I think we... Because I remember them playing it... In the in the 90s, they played it. I remember because those they had those throstles, those those mas throstles mascots, and they'd bounce about to it. I remember having gone up there in the 90s. I remember that was the the period where Lasso was um, uh, two blokes when he was taking a corner, wandered down and simulated sexual intercourse in the corner, and he was forced to laugh. I mean, nowadays, of course, they'd be arrested, but this was 19 whatever it was, whenever Lasso was playing, 1990, whatever it was, one or something. Um, but um, when we did Lasso play, 93, 94? Can't remember. Great player. Loved him. Um, anyway, but uh, no, I would think West Brom beat us to it for the regularity of it. But I think it was definitely played at the bridge before that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I see. I've never known the answer to that. That's actually quite interesting. I mean, the, the baggies always say that they were first, so... Um... But we always say we were first too, and of course we're very associated with the the skinhead culture. No, indeed, that was why because that's yeah. was played. Because I remember them playing reggae songs. They definitely played them. It was down to the oh, DJ. So there's, there's a, I... There is a big there is a big <clears throat> tradition of that in the black country, of course, as well, um, with two tone and and that that whole scar movement. Yeah, oh. but I mean, I, I, did uh, well, you see that? Did you see that Trojan documentary recently? If you, oh, it was yeah. a Sky Arts mate. It was brilliant. Yeah. But they. They talked a lot about actually the the close uh, link between yeah. that particular song and uh, yeah. and Chelsea. Marco's course written a book about this, hasn't he? Liquidate. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I just it's a, a moot point. Is who did it first? But you know, when you look at the Wolves and West Bromwich, are the Black Country clubs, if you like, uh, or very close to it. And uh, you know, having having been out. Uh, and got engaged to a girl up there. I remember the the tradition Did of that. Kind of, yes, of that, that you know, many many years ago. Did and, you get married and to it, her? And, No, 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 no. Oh, okay. um, but um, it was you know it was very much that kind of music um, was was very prevalent up there. Then of course when the two tone thing came in, which was a a variant of it, 
um, you know, the, the epicenter of that was pretty much that, that, that area of the country. As you see, mm. when you see Selector, who's, um, who's uh, is it, oh, what's her name? Pauline Black. Pauline Black is from that area as well. So I think it's it's, it's interesting that there are three clubs, and I, I've used it in a music quiz, actually, when I've said, you know, um, you know I want the name and uh, the, the, the name of the song and the artist, and I've got it, and I say, I also want to know which club plays this music when they're going to, and you have to accept Wolves, West Bromwich or Chelsea. Okay, yeah. right. We've got we've got one from Smooth One. I know you've answered this, Tony. In fact, I think you might have given the same answer as I'm about to. But he says, in the USA, driving home from work, I pulled over to park. Well, thank you. Well done, Smooth One. <laughs> and, and ask this question. Which current youth first team player, if any, has the best chance to be absolutely world class as these are the types of players we need? Fascinated to hear what you gentlemen think. Well, Tony immediately replied, uh, Reese James, I have to say, I agree with, with you, Tony. I think Reese James is just so Phenomenal. good. Phenomenal. Yeah. You would agree with that, JK? Oh, completely. Wonder, wonderful player already. Already best player on the pitch against Leicester. Phenomenal. I'd have to say, I think Loftus-Cheek, if he carried on playing to, as the way he played at the end of the season um, and, and started improving, would be similar. But we don't know what he's going to be like. We're going to get onto that, aren't we? Talking about well, not not this week. We ran out of time. Oh, okay. But anyway, but I'll talk about him briefly. I just think he's still some way away from playing in the first team, just because I I don't think how don't know how you can do it unless he suddenly just has a spurt of uh, he might give him a go as a sub if we're winning and so he might give him a go. But I I would be uh, bemused. Anyway, mm. heat one tablespoon of sunflower oil in a medium saucepan. Then soften, soften one chopped onion, two to three chopped carrots for a few minutes. When soft, turn up the heat, crumble in 500 grams of lamb, lamb mince and brown, tipping off any excess fat. Add two tablespoonfuls of tomato puree and a large splash of Worcestershire sauce. Tony, you see? Yes. yes then fry for a few oh, yes. minutes. Pour over, I'm not sure about this one, 500 millilitres of beef stock. Bring to a simmer, cover and cook for 40 minutes, uncovering halfway. Meanwhile, heat the oven to 180 degrees uh, centigrade or 180, 60 uh, gas four. Make the mash, boil the potato, cut into chunks in salted water for 10 to 15 minutes until tender. Drain, mash with 85 grams of butter, three tablespoonfuls of milk. You see, I like the mash, I mean, the butter and the milk in it. Good. Now put the mince into an oven-proof dish, top with the mash, yes, ruffle, it's really essential, ruffle with a fork. The pie can now be chilled and frozen for up to a month. Now you bake for 20 to 25 minutes till the top is starting to colour and the mince is bubbling through at the edges. Leave to stand for five minutes before serving. There you go. Wonderful. Uh, right, OK, Yaroslav Blue. I do like uh, shepherd's pie, you know, because I don't really eat meat anymore. I miss stuff like that. <clears throat> anyway, Yaroslav Blue. Uh, this is good. Uh, do you think that there's any chance that the atmosphere at the bridge could be improved? Heard many fans moan about it. Yaroslav, <clears throat> I'm very sad to, to say no. I think it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, no matter what the fantastic efforts of We Are The Shed are. Uh, but I think the trouble is, is that the way that modern football has has gone, that you're just not ever going to see the atmospheres that we used to get, unless you know maybe two or three games a year, massive match, you know, lot at stake against somebody like Spurs, Liverpool, somebody we don't like much, then yeah, you get a really good atmosphere. But I'm afraid the whole demographic of the stadium has changed. There's not enough youngsters in there. You can't sit together. St- safe standing might just save it. And it's not but- just us. 
No, no, no. I, I'm it's not digging us issue. out. It's a football I, I, issue. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a football issue. But safe standing might just save it. But I'm I'm I have to say that on all the areas that I'm involved with in 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 terms of Chelsea and football, I think atmosphere is the thing that saddens me most. But I, you know, we we also happen to have a pretty old uh, demographic in the stadium you know, which I don't think helps, you know, but that's because the kids have been priced out, you know, and as I said, because they can't sit together. Safe standing might be the answer, but I'm not optimistic, Jaroslav, and, and it depresses me. So I'm going to move on and find a positive question. Rob. I'm going to find a positive one. Rob? Rob Delcini's. Where? Which one? It's in the script, mate. Oh, it's in the script. Yeah. Ah, well done, Tony. Yes, I've had... So thank you, Mixler people. We're now moving back to the Patreon people. Well done, uh, Tony. He says, Robbie, Bobby D, my favourite, Bobby D. Hope you're all right down under, mate, and you you know, you didn't get caught up in the fires and stuff, and now the biblical uh, rainfall, but there you go. Hi, Chidge, Jonathan and Tony. Hope things are going well for you. I've got a question, but it's in two parts. One, we all know about the famous goals and moments that made our history, but I would like to know the most special goal to you. That is slightly off the beaten track. For example, for me, it was the cup semi-final at Highbury against Wimbledon, I was working in Marble Arch uh, at the time and left work for a very long lunch. I will always remember the goal by Zola, which was that one piece of magic that never got the accolades it deserved. The second part is, what is that Chelsea player that made you scream when the ball was at his feet? Mine were always Frodo Grodos or Ed De Hoy. Thanks and take care, Bobby D. Tony. Right. I'll do the player that made me scream the most and still, for me, one of the worst I've ever seen in a Chelsea shirt, which was Quadrado. Absolutely <laughs> fucking hopeless. Yes, yes. Right, and I don't yes. care if he went on to do OK, even as he was awful with us. Yes. Uh, but the goal, um, well, that that's very simple um, because uh, it brought tears to my eyes. And it was the 12th of March, 2006. And it was a last-minute winner scored by William Gallus in the game after Peter Osgood had died and won us the game 2-1. Mm. And, uh, oh, well, yeah, I remember that. Absolutely that was a ripped everyone's heart out in a moment of joy tinged with uh, a kind of sadness that we'd lost such an icon. Mm. On a day when the Spurs fans, it has to be said, they were good, weren't they? Impeccably, because as most football fans, you know, would would appreciate, um, it meant a lot to everybody. But that goal, that goal. Mm. JK? Um, I think Petter Barota was somebody I just used to shout at all the time because he would always run out of the area. Very similar to the way that... that Caballero um, did. Caballero did at the weekend, actually. Very, very... Very similarly, uh, except further. But we'd always go, no, 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 no. And then the ball would be in the net. Um, uh, and then he, he'd be, the other one, of course, was Yukanovich, who, uh, uh, but that was more kind of sort of despair. You just go, for fuck's sake, fuck, no, fuck, geez, fuck, oh, fuck it. That was my reaction to Yukanovich. Um, uh, goals, I mean, bloody hell, there are so many. Hundreds of them. I mean, I, 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 I remember standing behind the talk about Villa, standing behind the goal at Villa, and uh, uh, I think I was sitting behind the goal. I don't think people stand, stood then. And um, Biani Goldbeck scored oh. Oh. for Chelsea with an enormous, enormous rising shot from the edge of the penalty area, which just took my breath away. Um, 
just because it was so proximate to where I was standing, you know, it just went into the right to the corner. Um, uh, but, uh, the, the, you know, I mean, Alex's free kick against who was it Arsenal? He scored it where it, it, somebody just moved out of the wall and it went into the corner. Completely phenomenal goal. Just brilliant. Um, and similarly, um, uh, I'll go on again about it, but um, uh, Hughes' goal against Liverpool against Vicenza, I should say. You know, he scored a couple of goals against Liverpool, but the Vicenza goal, just by the whole skill involved of volleying it into the corner. It's, I suppose I like skillful volleys or enormous, ridiculous shots. So I think if you had to choose one, what would it have been? Oh, I don't know, Chidge. I'm too old. I can't remember. I mean, all right, you could say Osgood scoring in the, in the cup final in, seven, in, the, in the replay with the header. You know, the, the implications of that were so wonderful. First, Is that the one you're going to choose? I'll choose that one. But, I mean, that's pretty special, mate. I mean, I, yeah. you know, not, not many people were there. You were there. I was just there, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to make it very quick. Uh, my my special, special goal, Bobby D, I think is that penalty that Lampard scored against Liverpool in the Champions League just after his mum died. Uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, mate. It was, And that night was bouncing, I tell you. Uh, that that's really special to me. It might not be, you know, it's a penalty, so like it's not a special goal, but I, I think it meant a lot. And I share, I share, <laughs> I share Jonathan's pain to this day about Slavisa Jakanovic. I've moaned about him for twelve years on this show, so I, I don't really think there's much to add about that, J.K. But so when people say that Ranieri was a good manager, the very fact that he bought him, and yeah, totally. him regularly for goodness sake yeah totally right mate uh, I think Andy the Hutch is very very sad oh Stanich's goal I presume he means yeah that was a cracker I love Stanich yeah that play. Anyway, was great that was great yeah right yeah. last uh, Patreon question uh, and w- w- first of all an apology to Jason who wrote a wonderfully actually do you know what I'm just going to read Jason's uh, Patreon uh, message but we have answered this fully but he says perhaps off topic I've got to get my teeth in. Perhaps <laughs> off topic, and by no means do I mean to ask this disrespectively. And maybe, Chidge, with your role with the trust, you may not be able to completely be candid on this topic. Let me preface this question by saying that I love my visit to the bridge and the ability to view the pitch that has been used for over a century. It's amazing history, and one as an American who can only really apply to college football, that can apply to college football stadiums and a few major league baseball stadiums. But my question is. What is the best way forward with the continued inability to increase match day revenue and the restrictions placed on the club, and rightfully so, when they were enacted in the first place, and where the club can play and still use Chelsea's name? Should there be any considerations given to developing a ground somewhere else without the many impediments that currently exist at Stamford Bridge so that the club doesn't have to continue to fall behind the revenue game? Again, I don't pose to have the history that you and the rest of the fan cars group have, and I don't ask this question to cause any anger. Just posing the question as I read about our dependence on Champions League football revenues and the fact that the club are bracing for the financial results coming out of the Spurs and then you ground. Uh, I thought that was wonderfully and politely uh, uh, written, Jason, which is why I bothered to read it out. Um, but of course, uh, if you've been listening, you'll know that we really did that to death. What are you doing, Tony? Oh, sorry, I was moving my microphone back in front of me. Go. <laughs> I wonder what you were doing. I thought you were about to collapse or something. Anyway, yeah, Jason, lovely post. Mm. And I think we've answered the question very fully in the previous yeah, part. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, but uh, beautifully, respectfully written of our sensibilities. I appreciate that. Uh, Brian Justman is the last one for tonight, and he says this is specifically for Tony. When the fuck is the podding shed coming back? <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm going to um, Paris this weekend. Um, Do it there. I, I am indeed for <laughs> Valentine's Day. I'm not sure we knew that when we booked it, but we are going there. Uh, and then I come back and then Manchester United game. And with any luck, I will try and get something together um, post Tottenham. And um, we'll do something similar to this, a State of the Union kind of thing. There we go. You've got it from the horse's mouth there, Brian. Remember to hold him to it now. Uh, after this very weeny break, because uh, we are way behind schedule, because Tony and uh, I'm, I'm going to blame them tonight. Tony and Jonathan love the sounds of their own voices. So you should. So, you know, I love the sound of their own voices too, but it's therefore meant that the show <laughs> is like Andrex, uh, long and very, very strong. Or is it strong and very, very long? I can never remember which way, way round. Uh, but there you go. What can you do? What can you do? It's all good fun. Right, so after the break, we'll be back uh, and uh, we will be talking about your emails. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. Stanford Chidge here with Tony, Tony Kidd and Jonathan Glover. Um, brothers that wasn't, brothers yeah. in arms. That didn't quite work, did it? So I'll try that again. <laughs> Jonathan, Tony and Kid Glover. Oh, that yeah. would work. That would yeah. work. Lover all. Kid Glover. Glover all. Lover all. Lovely. I, I've, Kid I've, Glover. I've never, I, I've, I've, I've always, I've, I've liked um, uh, Jonathan ever since his day with the Pirates and... Um, Shaking all over. It was you. Oh, very good. Very good. All right. Uh, quick plug for uh, the quick. Do you, do you want me to mute you? Thank you. All right. Quick plug for the CFC UK, which of course is available on the uh, CFC UK stall on a match day, or from any of the sellers on a match day at home or away. And of course, you can descri- uh, describe. You can t- d- definitely describe it, but you can also subscribe to it. Uh, if you want to get it in person uh, by going to cfcuk.net. Uh, so there you go. Get the CFC UK. It's the best fanzine around. Uh, the new one will be out very soon because I delivered. Well, actually, I should tell you now. I uh, I delivered my CFC UK piece early for a change. And it was all about the uh, farce and fiasco and blatant profiteering of the club about their FA Cup tickets. And then on Saturday, I had to rewrite it because they changed their mind. But I still gave them a kicking anyway, just for good measure. Right, um, it is now time for the emails. And the first one to ask is uh, brilliant from, uh, from, from the lovely Vince Jonathan. Uh, and I have to say, this is, I think, one of the best emails we've ever had. So off you go, Vince Parker. Well, email of the week. This is email of the week. It's one of the best we've ever had, by the way, Chidge. Thought no, really? Who's, I know, who said that? Me, just then. <laughs> from Vince Get Parker. It. It's from Vince Parker. Shush. Uh, evening, Chidge and JK. Thank you very much indeed. 
Vince. I feel I felt I'll start again. Evening, Chidgen JK. Thank you very much indeed, Vince. I felt compelled to write in after last week's episode, Rudy Can't Fail, episode 491 of the Fancast show. Yep. A drop of reason in an otherwise sea of insanity. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was in desperate need of taking my head outside and giving it such a good wobble. I do that all the time. I know exactly, Vince, what you mean. I should really have known better. Unfortunately, I had almost disappeared down the rabbit hole. Well, it very well put of the transfer window, a fully paid up member of the nappy shitters, as Chidge would describe me. Deposit down on the PS4 FIFA Ultimate Team purchased, ready to broadcast my newly acquired insight into football management and player acquisitions to the Twitter sphere. This is good, this year. However, what stopped me was a fan cast of epic down to earth reality and absolute comedy gold. The whole experience enhanced by the impromptu appearance of the Reverend Tony Glover, unplugged or commando, whatever takes your fancy. Were you were you naked, Tony, in fact? A man of the cloth, a man of the people, or perhaps not if the guild of grumpy blokes is anything to go by. The high points of the show were too many to mention, but a few of my favourites were... Chidge describing Jim White and his yellow tie countdown to the slamming shut of the tra- transfer window as a load of old arse <laughs> bravery. <laughs> the setup, like Stitch for JK on the transfer window, we sign no one. Why? That should have included the instructions from a box of fireworks, <laughs> <laughs> light blue touch paper, and standard arm's length. Then proceed to keep quiet as JK almost internally combusted. It's true, I did. One point, desperately trying to drag the intellectual level of the show up a notch or two with musings from the work of Sigmund Freud, only for Tony to drag it back down below with, wasn't he the one from the dog dog food advert? (laughs) (laughs) At this point, I think I almost wet myself. The episode really did get me thinking because I really should have known better. My first trip to Stamford Bridge was in the late 70s and early 80s, a 1-0 win against Oldham. And ever since that moment, I was well and truly hooked. However, times weren't great. Shortly after starting going, I can remember the Hurst Out banner being unfolded. Yes, so can I. Yes, in a half-empty shed. He was a terrible manager, wasn't he? Half-empty shed end. More times like this followed. For instance, the 3-2 defeat to the Spuds in the FA Cup. Mickey Fillery scored a screamer towards the end of the first half, only for the Spuds to come out and put three pastors in the second half. I remember that too. Ah! Well, at least I got to see Alan May score a consolation goal. Alan May's, I love, he appeared to be able to go around in a circle. He did that a lot, just with the ball at his feet. I don't know why. Times like these were often punctuated with the occasional success. Even worse, though, was to follow the loss at home to Middlesbrough and the subsequent relegation to the second division. Oh, bloody hell, Vince, we're going back over appalling pain here. These were, in fact, hard times. However, the one thing that kept me coming back for more and looking forward to the next bit was the humour of the supporters. I felt at home with the Chelsea fans, especially the away support. Yes, it can be wonderful. Who else could make an anthem about an ever-increasing number of blokes and their canine friend going off to mow the grass? Yes, I agree. I, I love Scott. I really love it. I'm, I'm so pleased we could still sing it. On one trip to One Hill, man went to mow. Indeed. Spot. Yeah, it's called Spot, mate. It was always called Spot. One man went to oh. mow is a recent recent way of calling it i'm sorry well, i'm i'm, I'm, yo- I'm younger than no. i'm younger than you exactly you're young you can say that it was called spot originally chidge all Trust right me. i'll let you off always it age was. age before old beauty man and his dog spot bottle of pop sausage roll old mother riley and her cow 
uh, went to went to follow Chelsea. That was it originally, but that was only me singing it. But shush, anyway. Okay. One, one trip. I've to been. I, no, hang on, hang on. I have been schooled, weighed, and measured. Well done. Thank you. On one trip to Hillsborough during the dullest of nil-nil draws, the away support started the Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. Chelsea was what would have been Chelsea, but Chelsea, but, 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 Chelsea, 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 but, Chelsea. That, was it that one? No, no, no. It wouldn't have been that. It, yeah. it wouldn't have been that. It wasn't that. Yeah. Didn't come in the Amazing Grace till much later. It would just have been Chelsea, Chelsea, because Amazing Grace didn't happen till about the night eighty, late eighties, nineties. No, Ch- I think it was earlier actually. Well, okay, okay, but I, I, what's he talking about, Hillsborough? When are we talking about it? It wasn't there. It wasn't there in eighty three, eighty four. Anyway. <laughs> on one trip to Hillsborough during the dullest of nil-nil draws, the away support started the Chelsea, 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 Chelsea chant that continued for the entire second half. Yeah, See, the, that's the Amazing Grace one. No, oh, OK. Well, it would have been if it was more recent. I don't know which Hillsborough it is. That we need to know. Um, the home support in the main stand. Yes, I remember that happening in certain games. Yeah, and it would have been. You're right, Jim. 80s. Man. I agree. You're right. Because that one, they liked singing it. I agree. I agree. As did Hello, Hello, <laughs> We Are the Chelsea Boys once at one match I was at. That went on and on and on. Anyway, the home support in the main stand left completely perplexed and bemused as the away support were up on the rails waving banners. Yes, wonderful. The home supporters left subdued by Monty Python-esque humour. As an aside, the slapstick did continue outside because it was waiting to get the train back to Sheffield Station. An unfortunate bus pulled up across the road from the queue. A mass of people descended on the bus, people hanging out of the windows like a work sharabang off to the coast on a jolly. At this point, a copper just rolled his eyes and said, they haven't got a clue where they're going. He was right, of course, they didn't. And I often wonder where they ended up. (laughs) <laughs> Still, this brings me back to the point. It shows like shows like yours that provide the grounding of a public information announcement. Sense has been restored after giving myself a bit of a talking to. Things are moving in the right direction and the squad will be sorted in time. Sometimes these things don't happen overnight, however. Better to get them right rather than continuing to deal with the consequences. The setup we have at the moment is the best we've had in ages. All parts align, moving in the right direction. It just requires a small amount of keeping the faith and we will reap the benefits. I still go when I can, and recently took my youngest son to the Forest game in the Cup. He was absolutely beside himself to go. We had to walk down from West Brompton through the cemetery, spent ages doing the photos outside the ground. The seats in the family enclosure were excellent, really close to the pitch, especially for the first goal. Both of us had a great time, not so much for the people next to us who spent the whole game on their phones. Well, perhaps it doesn't mean so much for everyone. It was when we came to leave, it really hit me. I asked my son, Want to come back? Oh, yes, please, he replied, however. He replied, colon, sorry, semicolon. However, it was that glint in his eye that I recognised from all that time ago. He was hooked, just like me. Thanks once again. Keep up the good work. Just give me a few moments to put my tenor pants on at the start of the next Fagcast episode. Vince, keep the blue flag flying high. Well done, Vince. Very funny. Very, very funny, Vince. And I'm sorry, Chidge, and I had a row in the in the middle of it. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed because I think you're right, Chidge. It must have been. They, no, no, they, no, but you, you... They really enjoyed singing that, didn't they? The Chelsea, Chelsea went on and on. Yeah. Went on and on, yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to think... Yeah. I'm trying to think what era the Hillsborough would have been, because I got... Yeah, but, well, it's, I think it was probably 80s. But, you know, you embarrassed me with the spot song, so I think we can call that an honourable draw. Yeah, OK, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. A f- absolutely fantastic email, Vince. I mean, I... I 
I, I chuckled as much uh, when Jonathan was reading it as I did when I read it this morning. It was brilliant, wasn't it, Tony? It was indeed, and that did make me laugh. I'd forgotten the uh, some of the comments that came out last week. Um, that they were, it was it's, it's, it was one of those episodes, wasn't it? It just was. They all it was are. a cracker. They all are. It was a cracker. We, you do give us free reign to be daft bastards. That's true. Well, I am too, remember. Anyway, uh, we've got another email. This one from Mika Martin. He says, hello, fancast team. Hello, Mika. Uh, I apologise in advance if this email comes out very lengthy. There is a lot to say, and I've been wanting to write an email since I first started listening. I've only just started listening to the fancast midway through October or November. Mika, where have you been for the last 12 years? Anyway, uh, and I've absolutely loved every minute that I've listened to. I'm delighted to hear that. The insight from you all, Chidge, JK, Joe, Tony, or any other special guest is next level and nothing like anyone here in the States can offer. As I just referred to, I am from Orlando, Florida in the States and only started supporting the Blues in 2010 since my family didn't grow up as huge football supporters. Also, I despise the fact that it's called soccer here in the States and love to point out that it is the real football to anyone that might try to say otherwise. I love this sport and have played it my whole life and continue to play it now. I discovered this podcast because I regularly take two-hour drives back home for, uh, to Orlando from my university, the University of Florida in Gainesville, if you even care. I do, actually. Anyway, I digress. My love for Chelsea has only grown through the years. I'm only 20 years old. Well, that, that would explain why you've just found us, son then uh, Mika, then I apologise for being rude about asking you where you had been for the last 12 years. Anyway, I'm only 20 years old, but I'm glad to say being a Chelsea fan has taken up half of my life and I can't wait for what this team has in store under Lampard for the future. In the next year or two, I will also be finally taking my first trip across the pond to see my first live Chelsea game in the flesh and will no doubt take your you guys up on a pint or two uh, of Guinness if you're offering. Yep, Tony's always offering to buy everybody who comes over from the States a pint That's of Guinness. Me. Uh, I've just I just have a few talking points I want to discuss about the club, about the transfer market and our preferred lineup. In the last fan cast, you guys spoke about the midfield and if Kante in the central role would uh, would work as him being a quarterback. I'm sorry I mentioned that word. Uh, and I like to think it could work great and he wouldn't necessarily have to be a quarterback to play in the centre necessarily. It's not like Jorginho has picked out many passes to cut through defences besides a lousy Watford defence. Barcelona have had great success with Sergio Biscuits in the centre of the park and he is the furthest, furthest thing from a quarterback. His most famous assist are two-yard passes to Messi on top of his own box before Messi takes it on an entire team and scores. Well, I think the, the, the answer is there, isn't it, mate? Wilfred Ndidi at Leicester is doing a great job as well, as, uh, as well, taking up the role that Kante left in that midfield when he made a mediocre Danny Drinkwater look like an England national team player. I would love to see him tested in the centre and have Kovacic and Mount either side of him and that may light a fire beneath Jorginho to finally get the best out of him. In regards to the back four... Uh, and goalkeeper situation you nailed it spot on on the last podcast and don't want to waste any time writing about that and the attacking front can't change much until Pulisic finally comes back which can't happen soon enough totally agree with that Uh, I'm glad we didn't spend unnecessary money in the transfer market and as long as we start planning for the summer now which I believe Czech will be instigating we will be all right we can definitely still finish top four with what we have Frank is one of the smartest guys in the game and the future is very bright for our club one last point for JK specifically, after your rant about lousy rumours of William to Barcelona and other media rubbish, my favourite article I have ever read was Victor Moses to Barcelona link when he played 
wing-back under Conte in the famous title-winning season. That is by far the funniest article I've ever read and the loudest I've laughed out loud when reading a rumour. Thought you might get a kick out of that one. Not sure if you ever saw that one or not. Anyways, thank you for the hard work you guys uh, put in and uh, I love the insight you guys give from being there actually at the games and around the culture of the club. Sorry for the lengthy email once again. Hope you guys are all doing well. Keep the blue flag flying high. Thank you, Mika Martin. What a lovely email, Jonathan. And uh, what a lot of sense from uh, a young man of tender years. Yes, he shouldn't worry about the length of it. It was great. Don't worry. Send them in. No, it's perfect. We want to hear more. We want to hear more from the States. We want to hear more what your view is. of. of Very sound as well. We want to hear all about Pulisic. We want to hear about what everybody's view is. We want to hear it. It's great. Well done. And I hadn't... hadn't I hadn't heard the Victor Moses story either, so uh, thank you. Yeah, good stuff. I'm saddened to find out that um, the guy at Leicester's first name is Wilfred and not just yes. Oh, very good. <laughs> very good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a terrible dad joke, but very funny. Well, I'm a terrible dad joke person. <laughs> you are indeed. You are indeed. That was really good. No, Mika, that was a cracking email. I agree with everything you said in there. You, you, you really know your onions when it comes to the football, I think. And I, I say that not just because you agree with me. But uh, I thought the Kante point, you know, is particularly interesting, actually. Why not? I mean, I, I keep saying this. Kante is a world-class player. Frankly, he should be able to, He could play anywhere, you know, really. Maybe not in goal, a bit short, but basically anywhere. Because he's a world-class player, and that's what world-class players can do. And I think if you put him in the centre of midfield, he could do a job. And you're right. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't see... I, I think Jorginho is a lot better than he was last year. I think he was a lot better in the first half of the season than he has been recently. But, you know, he's not tearing it up. So, you know, why not? I mean, sometime sometime in the future, Frank is going to have to make a choice because he's got a mixture of Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, Mount, uh, less so Barkley, but quite possibly uh, Loftus-Cheek coming back. He can't play them all at the same time. He's going to have to make a choice like he has in defence, I think, of who his best midfield is. And I cannot believe that your best midfield does not contain N'Golo Kante. Anyway, Jonathan, we got a lovely little email from Barrett Rouen. Barrett, Barrett. Okay, Barrett Rouen. Shouldn't it be Barrett Rouen? No, anyway, Barrett Rouen. No, he's from the States, I think. Barrett Rouen. Hi, everyone. I could be wrong. Just saying hello again and well done on the show. It's been particularly fantastic recently. Yeah, I wonder what, what are we doing, Chidge, to make it fantastic? Is it because... I have no idea. Is it because Tony's on a lot? Is it that? It must be. <laughs> can't be. Can't be you and me, mate. Oh, yeah, it can't be us. No, you're too kind. Yeah. You're too kind. Yeah. Um, uh, it's ten out you owe me. I'll keep them short, as I know mine was particularly long last time. I did want to stick my nose in a bit about some of the topics discussed in the Rudiger episode. It does appear that though people felt I was a touch too negative about the squad previously, they've come around now. The squad is, and forgive my boorish language, just too shit. And that's why things are hard for us at the moment. It's like everyone participating on the pod, as this is being read, can probably count a full five-fingered handful of players who they think are shit at this very moment. That's the issue, simply put. At Liverpool or City, that simply isn't the case. That said, I agree wholeheartedly with all of you in the fact we shouldn't just be buying players we don't need for prices we don't need to pay in January. It would be foolhardy and alarmist. And that's what has us in the current position anyway. January is a terrible market. Agree completely. It always has been, always will be, because the players that we need and that can improve us simply aren't for sale. They're competing with good teams that have a chance to win something in their respective divisions and won't be sold in the middle of the season. Everyone should relax and let Frank get on with it. Remember, this year is about the youth and growing together into something we can build on in the future. 
It was always going to be difficult. It's the Premier League, and that's why it's the best division in the world. We're doing a lot of work to change many things about the club, and given the squad situation and the competition, I'd say we're about bang on with where we should be or even better. That's all, guys. Trying to plan a trip back to London for the spring will make sure to visit the cock, get enough pints in that the result couldn't possibly ruin. I hope you're all in good health. Thanks for the work you're doing, keeping us all in touch, and keep the blue flag flying high. Barrett. Um, um, good stuff to say shit. I like, it's, it's good coming out on a, on a limb like that. And uh, I agree with you. Some of them aren't very good. I don't think they're shit, but I'm well, I suppose it depends on your view. Um, some of them aren't, um, aren't good enough. And I think that will be rectified at the end of the season. I think what we said beginning of the season, which I was ashamed it didn't take place, was we thought that they'd, be, they'd get three or four players in who would um, improve it so we'd have a chance in the Champions League and, uh, and do pretty well for the rest of the season. And it wasn't to be, but I really can't see them with this huge war chest they've got and the other players that they'll sell not really improving in a big way in the summer. I really think they will. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there'll be five out. I don't think necessarily the shittest, but I think the, there'll be five out nonetheless. Tony? Um, I, th- I think it's harsh to uh, to use the word shit. I think um, <clears throat> there are players that are past their best. Uh, yeah, let's not forget they're still... Um, and, and I think to a degree we are paying for the um, the the sins of, of of the past um you know and our whole ethos about you know going out and buying players all of the time just go and buy that player go and buy that player we need someone in this position and and you end up in this this kind of uh you know if you're balancing on a on a on a on a piece of wood or something can you you, you swing one way and then you overcompensate to go the other way i think that's what we've been doing for a number of years we've been overcompensating and buying and buying until um buying the wrong people um but i think i agree with jonathan i think five five or six out three in maybe and another three coming up through the academy um it's a longer term plan these days i've said it all the way through this season and i'm very happy that we're doing that at last Mm. Uh, I, I, just to my two penneth worth on that, I think I'm not sure if Barrett's from the states or not. He might actually be from from England, but uh, I, 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 do you know Barrett? Forgive me, I've forgotten. But yeah, I look forward to seeing you in the cock. Uh, yeah, I think shit's a bit harsh, mate. But uh, bang average is probably yes. about right yes. for a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, you know, and I, you know, I can sit here and and uh, you know say I don't call the players shit and all the rest of it to my you know heart's content. But the reality is. Uh, how do I square that with saying what we need, people? What we need is at least four world-class players if we're going to compete for stuff. So by inference, that's telling you that what I really think is that actually a lot of them aren't good enough and are bang average. So there you go. So I, I'm disinclined to disagree with you on that, but I think shit's a bit harsh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for ages. I think we need to, a lot of them need to go. We need to have a bit of a clear out and a rebuild. But as Jonathan said earlier on, actually, or was it Tony? I forget. It, it's quite hard to get rid of six seven eight players maybe in one go uh you know it's uh, and i think the club have still pretty much wedded to this one in one in one out uh issue uh, although as the boys have just pointed out perhaps rather than buying in the number that we let go we might actually supplement that with players who are coming up from the academy but we shall see time as ever will tell and time as ever, has beaten us yet again because we got to go. Uh, but before we do, uh, make sure if you uh, want to get uh, an email read out on the show, you just ping it to chelseafancast@gmail.com, 
Or you could send it to Patreon. That's equally good. I'll, I'll always try and include those as well. Uh, and then I can uh, delude myself that I am actually doing something for the lovely Patreon people. But there you go. Right. Uh, as I said, that is all we've got time for, I'm afraid, this week. Uh, we, well, mm, bit of a bit of a tricky issue, actually. I said we may well be back next week. Uh, but, of course, as you probably know, the match uh, next week against Man United was on a Monday, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, normally, what I would have done is I would have... Uh, shifted it to the Tuesday evening but I'm afraid very sadly I have to go to a funeral on Tuesday afternoon uh, and I'm not sure when I'm going to get back and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to feel actually so I'm look it's looking like Tuesday ain't going to happen and of course on Wednesday evening I'm working and then it's Thursday and then it's the Love Sports Show on the Friday so uh, you know what I think I might just have to give it a swerve next week really sorry but what I'll do is I'll more than make it make up for it uh, by not being on the Love Sport radio show that <laughs> Friday, which is probably true. But are, you, are, we, you at United? are you at United on Monday? No, I, I can't make it because I've got to work down here. So. I, might, I uh, might jump in with the Podden Shed on the Thursday, I think, then, perhaps, potentially. You might. Well, I was going to say, if you do it late enough, I might jump on it with yes, you. Yes, yes, I can, well, I can suit it to any time. But we'll talk about it offline, Chidge. Yeah, I'm really, really sorry, folks, but you know, this is a very old friend of mine, and uh, I got to go to the funeral, and uh, I'm not going to feel very happy. So, I'm afraid it just ain't going to happen next week. Really sorry. Basically, blame Sky Sports for sticking it on Monday. Uh, when, when, when you know, when all is said and done, all you have to do is blame Sky Sports. Pretty easy, really. Anyway, I'm very sorry about that, uh, but you know, uh, we are doing a show this week when nobody expected us to, and many others haven't. I'm looking at you, love. Uh, London is blue. Anyway, um, by the way, actually, talking of London is blue, massive congratulations to you lovely boys, the brothers from another mother, for doing 400 shows. That's pretty astonishing. Well done to you guys. Right, uh, we're definitely going to be back on Friday, this Friday for the Love Sport Radio Show, where Jonathan Kidd, remember him? No. <laughs> well, Jonathan will be joined by Dan Silver, the lovely Dan Silver, and they will be... Talking to Matt Beadle from 7 o'clock till 8 o'clock, as ever. Uh, so do give it a listen. Don't forget that uh, I also do uh, the breakfast show on Sunday mornings with Paul Mortimer between 8 and 12 o'clock on Love Sport Radio. Uh, so phone in, join the show, debate with us live. The number, of course, as ever, is 0208 508 And Love Sport is a national radio station now. Wow. That means we are let loose on the nation that's amazing. One day we'll probably get sued. Uh, but anyway, it's on all your digital channels, plus Radio Player, tune in, lovesportradio.com. And of course, it's always up as a podcast right afterwards, as all the stuff we do is. And they can be found on chelseafancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as other podcast distributors. And talking of uh, which, uh, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast in this wonderful new app, uh, which has got lots of other Chelsea podcasts on it as well, uh, run by CFC Blues, the CFC Blues app. And they are going to tell you all about it right here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, uh, Tony on the recently liberated at ah, Grocer Jack he's UK. He's back, I'm out of jail, mate. I'm he's there. out of yes. Twitter jail. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> and uh, of course, at Joe Tweedy, at Goalie59, at Martin Wickham, at Dan Silves73, at Liam underscore Toomey, at CFCGWLB, at Dean Mears. And a quick shout out to at Clitheroe Blue. 
uh, as well, and uh, at Nick Stradley for doing, and, and Dean Mears and Alex as well for doing blogs on our website. And of course, last but by no means least, Dane Whittle, who looks after our Instagram account, which is at Chelsea Fancast. Lovely stuff going up uh, all the time from Dane. Well done to him. He's a fan- he's a fantastic bloke. I love him. Great stuff. Right, we've got to go. Jonathan, as ever, you have been muchos, muchos grandiest. Whatever that means. Oh, geez, I love you. Thank you very much for seeing those lovely things. You yourself, I also muchos grandios. Lovely. They were fantastic. No, it's been fun tonight. I've enjoyed it, chaps. Yes. Very long, but very, very funny. So there you go. Not not least because, of course, we've got the reverent, the reverent of, of laugh making. <laughs> no, I love being on Miss- this show. It's been brilliant, mate. Yeah. Brilliant. Mate, I love you too, man. I haven't seen you for... F- Ages. I know, and uh, and of course you're not going to see me next Monday because you're not there, are you? So uh, no, it'll no. probably be Spurs, um, the loathsome yeah. Spurs, as we should call them, really. I know. We need we need to catch up for a local a Hampshire ale. I say this all the time. We do. You know, we do. I, we do. yeah. Okay, I'll get on it, yeah. mate. I'll get on it. Uh, you know, I've been working seven days a week yes. for most of the for yeah, the last I, month. You know, so, I, I, yeah. you know the, the, the friendship's there. It's just there, mate. It's, it's, I know. It's like, well, I know. I, I, I'm not worried about that. It's just that I'd like to uh, exploit that friendship yes. by actually seeing you. It would be good, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. Yes. All right, boys. Great stuff, as ever. You've been absolutely brilliant tonight. Sorry it's been a bit long. Uh, Mixler people, as always, you're being, you've been fast. Loved your questions. Loved your comments all through it. You are really... You really make it worth doing for us, and I can't thank you guys enough. So brilliant stuff. Right. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chelsea. Up Up the Chelsea. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.